This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code LASERTIME. Jay and Silent Bob say goodbye. Walter White wonders who you think you're talking to. And all the kids are screaming about one film, Barton Fink. This week on 302010. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you back 30, 20, and 10 years ago in the pop culture past. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I'll show you the life of the mind. <laughs> It's me, Sarah, and I can tell you, I was a kid who screamed about Barton Fink. Wow, okay. <laughs> I got a story about that movie. <laughs> so I, don't think, I don't think Sarah yet gets the reference Diana and I are trying to make, but I know a bunch of other people do, of fans of a certain show, because it's one of the greatest jokes it took me 10 years to get. Yes, welcome to 30 2010. Wonderful exploration of three, uh, three decades across a single week, and this week is August 20th to the 26th. A fantastic uh, little week of some of the weirdest entertainment I've ever endured in a row before in my life. And, and I, I'm not kidding. Like, all this stuff, like, yeah. I had to jump, getting really diff wildly different mindsets to in, try and view things this week. Yeah. It's another eclectic one where we have, like, the one big standout that we're going to talk about. And then everything else is just so all over the place. We have, like, oh, every thanks. kind of movie. True. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I Like, I swear, it's the first time, like... Is this making me nauseous? I can't. It's <laughs> a lot of it is over the top or yeah. like an extreme version of a thing or a par almost a parody of a thing. Like, yeah. And a couple are we're going to be sequels to other things that got reworked into something else. Wow. Oh, Ooh, point well, them out when we get there. Uh, but once again, we'll be telling you all of the cool stuff that came out the week of August 20th, 26th, 1991, 2001 and 2011. Get it? 30, 2010. Tell your friend to listen to the show. Or you can, go, you can be an executive producer like Richard Sansom and many other fine people at patreon.com slash laser time. Price of five bucks helps the whole show out, keep us compensated, keep our equipment up to date, hosting, all that stuff. I, I'm telling you, there's a lot of this stuff is the pain in the ass, but it does cost something, including our time. We do appreciate everyone who supported us for almost six entire seasons. 2021 is getting away from me, and I am not realizing how deep we are into the... I would I keep threatening the halfway point of 302010. We're almost over. Sixth season. But there's plenty of episodes to go back and listen to, and you might want to because, man, I don't know. I feel like there's a bunch of fun references to things we'll talk about in this episode. But let's begin like we always do in 1991 and start out with a little bit of news. And if you're my age, which is 10, 11, these are all super vague memories, but you just remember the adults freaking out mostly <laughs> and like, why can't I watch cartoons? Oh, because... The first Burning Man in Black Rock Desert is happening. That's not something my parents were into. But yeah, uh, this not many people knew about this at the time. There's like I don't know, 300 people show up, 250. But it's the first one out in Black Rock Desert, Nevada. Mm -hmm. Previously, it had been in Baker Beach in San Francisco, and like maybe a couple hundred people showed up there. Fast forward 30 years, 80,000 last one. Wow, last one. Yeah, yeah, That's it's, crazy. It is. It is one of those things. I have plenty of friends who attend, and just I was like, gonna say. Doesn't everyone know at least one Burning Man person? I know I do. You, you mm -hmm. do, yeah. You know several. And uh, yeah. But every time, I, there's even the, like, no, I, absolutely not. There, there's better places to have group sex than a place in the desert with no water. Also, oh, if, 
I, I don't hate like camping. Dust. <laughs> I don't like dust. I don't like camping. Yes, I'm not. A- uh, I yeah. don't like jam bands or noodling. <laughs> oh, I see. I can put up with jam bands and noodling, but I do love Burning Man every year because a couple neighborhoods in San Francisco empty out, and like parking is super Ooh. easy all yeah. of a sudden. That's it's cool. Pretty great. Yeah, and it's slowly like- become, become a very obscure art project into this like super bizarre yuppie horseshit <laughs> almost detest. I was gonna say I do love costumes and art installations. So I like I setting get... giant things on fire where no one gets hurt. Yeah, I do. That's also fun Call too. Mm-hmm. I emptied the building. Anyway, this is the sad news I meant to get to. Belarus declares independence. that's not sad news. Belarus de- declares independence. Yep. Hurrah. So we've lost oh I think this is the point where the USSR is officially not the largest country in the world anymore. Because really? we've had so many of these guys break off in the last year, starting with, you know, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. We still have, what, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, and the the place which is now the Russian Federation. The Soviet Union is kind of over, but they're not really sure what to do about this. Like, they're trying to transition, but also kind of still have a lot of communism. And uh, we're pretty much at the breaking point This uh, in the next couple of weeks. There'll be a major shift. Just because, um, why is our country falling apart? I don't like the, the It's Gorby's fault. Um, if you're Tucker Carlson, it's because they hate gender pronouns. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> that's it. It's because they're too woke, they're too woke. I guess. Yeah, oh. the Russians started teaching the 1619 Project and just all went to hell. <laughs> oh, sweet. Movies of 1991, August 20th through the 26th. What the f- Hot Shots is still number one at the box office. Di- like, displacing Terminator yeah. 2 and it's sticking around for a month. This is one of the more successful comedy. What is it about this I movie? I was going to say, this co- you don't see comedies do this. Yeah, like this, especially, like, it reminded me of Scary Movie, like this unexpected the first scary movie was this huge unexpected hit, like just decimated the Jim Carrey, the guaranteed Jim Carrey movie that came out up against it and stuck around for like two months. But they're also the same type of movie, the parody movie yeah. mm-hmm. that, that no one has any, ah, they make these kind of movies all the time. We'll be fine. And, and here you have hot shots. If, if you haven't been listening to the show, it's kicked the ass of like 15 films. At this yeah, point. It's crazy. <laughs> um, which seems insane because yeah, it's still pretty good. Still pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there haven't been too many comedies coming out against it, but True. still, it's it's still summer. Yeah. But come on, man. Yeah, we're rounding out summer, but um, you know, 1991. I, I always attribute it to like a Jurassic Park changed what summer movies were. Like mm. they got real big and real expensive after this. Yeah. Christmas used yeah. to be a, a bigger time for movies uh, until Jurassic Park. Um, there's but, always a, there's always at least one big dog every summer that's just like everyone get the hell out of the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and yeah, summer '91 was obviously T2, and that just mm-hmm. demolished everything. But stayed number one for a lot less than I was expecting. Yeah, a lot less. But it's still it's yeah, like sure number it's, three every week. Like, yeah, it's getting so much repeat business. Yeah, and probably I, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna guess off the top of my head mm-hmm. will become the highest grossing R-rated home movie in just a few months. I'm just going to guess because everybody I knew had that fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> but moving into the movies that did come out this week, uh, True Identity with Lenny Henry and Frank Langella. Oh, this is so fucking embarrassing. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, no. This this is sh- double feature with Soul Man. <gasps> no. It- <laughs> Wait, yeah, what? No. <laughs> yeah, Soul Man, the movie oh. where uh, oh, white guy oh, pretends oh. to be black. This mm-hmm. is about a black guy pretending to be white. Lenny Henry uh, is a pretty, pretty big stand-up in the UK and they bring mm-hmm. him to the U.S., to make this just Im- 
embarrassing movie where he disguises himself as a white guy and like gets chased around by the mob. That is offensive. You do not put white face makeup on and make fun of us. Oh, it's just... That's like calling a white person the N-word. You can't do that. I'm just kidding. Yeah. You can do this all you want. You can't, Please. Call us, can't call us the C-word with a hard R. That's very offensive. <laughs> A cunter? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I was like, I had to it took a second. <laughs> got it, got it, got it, got gotcha. yeah. I just wanted to, to make up a new curse word. Yeah. Okay. I think I might have broke the C word barrier here. I never say that <laughs> word, but we're explicit for a reason. Bring the kids in. I'll explain later. And then also out this week, um, ooh, just defenseless with Barbara Hershey, Sam Shepard, JT Walsh. Okay, so this is, I, I mean, it's a legal drama thriller mm-hmm. uh, where. Uh, what Barbara Hershey and shoot, who was it? I already forgot who it was. Um, someone else or uh, <laughs> JT Walsh is you know having an affair with Barbara Hershey and then dies. And now Barbara Hershey, the lawyer, has to defend his wife for the murder charge. Oh, but wait, there's more. Oh, I actually watched like the first hour of this right before we got on air because it's free on Tubi. And I was like, oh, fine, I'll sh- throw this on. Okay. It's even weirder than that. So Barbara Hershey is a lawyer defending J.T. Walsh at the beginning because he apparently owns a warehouse where child pornography was produced. And so he was like being somehow criminally implicated in that. Also, he is married to her college best friend but she doesn't and she's having an affair with him but she doesn't know that he's married to this woman until like way on into the like attorney client relationship it seems like she doesn't know who her best friend is married to and then yeah (laughs) and then he gets murdered after barbara hershey and he have a big fight he gets murdered and then she Yes, starts, I guess, defending his wife who's being accused of the murder. So it is, A, weirdly convoluted. (laughs) Oh, also, there's like the, so the father of a girl who was in the child pornography is apparently going around and trying to kill everyone who was involved with that movie shoot. So like, that's also going on. So it's crazy it's not good right it's so much exposition happens from barbara hershey talking to herself alone in her apartment oh <laughs> like, like how a, could you have an affair with your best friend's husband like a disney He's princess stupid. <laughs> yeah it's so weird like at one point i turned to sam's like she talks to herself too much and then she says on the screen i talk to myself too much <laughs> <laughs> It is so weird and like weirdly convoluted and absolutely feels like a TV movie. And I'm not yeah. just saying that because of JT Walsh. Being oh, come now. But yeah. I'm sorry. I like JT Walsh. Yeah. I also really like Sam Shepard. We do not talk about him enough. Like, yeah, he's just as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like so he detective. plays like, yes, he plays a detective that's like rough and tumble and like investigating. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. So it's Mary Beth Hurt as the wife. The thing that interested me the most is this is directed by Martin Campbell yeah. and it's his last non-action movie. Yeah. Huh. The director of couple... Green Lantern. Yes, unfortunately. But uh, three years from now, he'll make No Escape, which is an <laughs> Under, I it's, feel like an under-recognized yeah. most dangerous game movie yeah. with Ray Liotta. And then after that, he becomes the guy you bring in to introduce new James Bonds. Really? Yeah. GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Those both freaking rule. Yeah. Did Mask of Zorro. Goddamn love that movie. Vertical Limit, we talked about. 
<laughs> I mean, it's, sure not that did. It, it's not that it's badly directed. It's just, it's just a little kind of silly. Other things wrong with it? Still, I got a, it's not quite an erotic thriller, though. No, I wouldn't that call it that. Yeah. I mean, again, I only got into an hour into it. So maybe eroticism was on its way. <laughs> but I would say uh, no, probably not. Man, yeah. the amount so, of time I used to wait for eroticism and. <laughs> late night HBO movies. Maybe. It kind of reminds me of like, actually I started watching Bridgerton cause I've run out of things to watch apparently. And everyone's like, Oh, it's such a sexy show. It's like I'm episode and a half in and I'm not seeing a single wang. Nothing. <laughs> Disappointed. <laughs> All right. Sarah's burning for that action. Anybody get a chance to sit down with <laughs> showdown in little Tokyo? I really, it was low on my list, but I, I was a little curious. I did not get to it because I just wanted to... I've almost seen every Brandon Lee movie ever made. You know, I'm damn close to having seen every T. Carrera movie ever made. Yeah. Well, Brandon Lee, there's uh, three American ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, he previously did a German one and a Hong Kong one. This is his American debut. Yeah, with Dolph Lundgren, Showdown in Little Tokyo. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, so... I feel bad that I did not get to this. My my husband is a fan and walked me through a whole bunch of it. So Dolph Lundgren plays a guy who was raised in Japan. Uh-huh. That explains I his it. accent. I I, uh-oh, uh-oh. And Brandon Lee is an American of Japanese descent who doesn't really care for Japanese stuff. And now they're buddy cops and they have to take down drug kingpin Kari Hiroyuka Tagawa, who's a total like hates that guy. Like hmm. is it Mortal Kombat, I think he's the guy who gets to go, it has begun. <laughs> he's, he's a hates that guy. Uh, my husband already pointed out his favorite line is when they decide like, oh, we're going to make all this crystal meth. And he's like, yes, now the Americans will buy their cars. And their drugs from us. <laughs> oh, good subtlety! I love subtlety. Oh, I mean, we can make it pretty cheap here. I think we've proven that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about it in two decades. Yeah. Yeah. So they're yes, meth. That's a theme. <laughs> How the whole world won't be buying anything from either of us. Yeah. So they're mismatched buddy cops, and but they both do lots of martial arts stuff, and and they take down the evil, you know, Japantown kingpins, the drugs, and yeah. It's, I mean, it's a distinctly B movie. Like, come on. The same that could, pairing is so weird. Could, the same could be said for the next film, which I made it a point. I've made it a point to avoid this movie my entire life because of its title. And, and you're right. You are right to do that. And I made it a point this time to guarantee that I watched the entire thing in a single sitting. And I can't say enough what? insane things about Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. The Republican buddy cop movie your dad has been waiting for. Clearly something that inspired Quentin Tarantino at some point. It is utterly ridiculous every single frame. Uh, Did you guys get the chance to watch this at all? Sam did say that they watched it for Masterpiece Theater, which of course is like one of the, which was their local. It was our local local shit watching group. Yeah, exactly. Um, I watched a couple clips and I was like, why? It's almost, it's almost too Again, like a buddy cop movie, but. But they're not cops. Ridiculous trappings on top of it. That's just so dumb. But they're not cops. And like, dude, uh, have you ever wanted to see Giancarlo Esposito, Gus Fring dressed as Jimi Hendrix? Try this movie. Have you ever wanted to see Vanessa Williams sing in the rock and roll, croon in the rock and roll club? You know, just completely anachronistically. Matched up with a seven foot husband, white husband, the most weirdest couple in cinematic history. Fight Tom Sizemore and Tia Carrera with Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson playing 
a cowboy and a motorcycle character whose names in the beginning of the movie are said not to mean what you think they mean and almost never call each other those names ever again. <laughs> it's very, very strange. It's, it has the, the film has the strangest disclaimer in the front. These characters never, neither represent or nor are based on the, pro- the famous products you're thinking. Oh, <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure about that? One and dresses like a cowboy and this? one rides a motorcycle. Why does it have this title? Why can't it just be about a motorcycle guy and a cowboy guy? And it's not called Harley Davidson and the Marlboro but Man. It's, it's Mickey Rourke as a motorcycle guy. Don Johnson as a cowboy. Jimi Hendrix, Gus Fring... Teaming up to save a black rock and roll club that only plays old 40 standards uh, <laughs> against Tom Sizemore playing like an intermediary for an Asian drug dealer. They're not cops. They try and rob a okay. rob a, a gangster money train um, okay. to save the club. But it, when they open up the score, it's all drugs. Like, we're not going to sell these. Ah, oh, shit. And then they're, they're wanted by all these people. It's ultra violent, ultra silly, feels seven years older than it is. I mean, (laughs) I think this script was in the works for a very, very, very long time. Uh, But I don't know. There's something about seeing Don Johnson as a violent cowboy. I just, I still, (laughs) I can't not recommend. Uh, There's there's a lot of fun stuff in this movie, but it's pulpy and and definitely a a shit watch. Um, It's a big week for Tia Carrera. I know. She's in two movies. Two movies. Looking looking fine as hell. Goddamn Tia Carrera. My early 90s crush. I miss you. And, and oh man, she still looks great. You see her on the Eric Andre show? Ah! Moving on to the big movie of the week, which... <laughs> wow. <laughs> ...is so silly. Yeah, let's... This is Steve Buscemi, Michael Lerner, John Mahoney, Judy Davis, John Goodman, and John... That's a lot of Johns! John sure Turturro <laughs> and Barton Fink. Come on, Bart! We're gonna go sneak into an R-rated movie! It's called Barton Fink! I can't. I told my dad I'd wait for him. Barton Fink! Barton Fink! Barton Fink! Sarah's laughing. I know you're not a Simpsons fan, but like, I, it's one of those I, I, recollections I had a lot on Talking Simpsons where like, my dad is laughing and I don't know why. And that is just such a great joke. All the kids excited to see Barton Fink. Which do you think they liked more, Barton Fink or Naked Lunch? <laughs> Movies of, movies of 1991 that they snuck into and then are disappointed. By. I would say uh, Naked Lunch would disappoint you more because holy shit, do you have to have read that book yeah. for that adaptation yeah. to make any sense? Well, there's two things wrong with that title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I about the joke. joke. Uh, uh, but Barton anyway. Fink is, is, I think, one of the weirdly more unapproachable Coen Brothers movies. I think so. Yeah. It's fun to start doing research and like, I look for the Barton Fink trailer, which we can play now. And one of the first things that comes up is Barton Fink explained. Uh. Because it is it is very vague and open to interpretation, a lot of it. Yeah. And uh. it's just, you know, you can take it one way, you can take it another way. Some people think, like, the whole back half isn't real. Maybe none of it's real. Maybe some of the characters are fake. Huh. You can look at it that way. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Whatever. And it's, it's one of the things I love about the Coen brothers. They tend to make, like... A movie that breaks through and is a huge crowd pleaser and then deliberately swerves and does something the public rejects. Uh, not critics necessarily, but the public. Oh, hmm. crit- critics love this. This ended up losing money, which is a bummer, but it it killed it. Can it won yeah. best film, best director, best actor for Turturro. Yeah, it was a huge hit with critics, and yeah, a lot of people just didn't show because they didn't know what. I, I wish I could. I was alive, that. loving Big Lebowski when it came out, but it came out after Fargo. And everyone's like, hell yeah, more Fargo. And that is mm-hmm. 
the opposite of more Fargo, and everyone was pissed. Like, what is this supposed to mean? Who would want to watch this twice, let alone have a festival in 30 years about it? People were, critics were incensed. dream sequence? Yeah. Thank you. Um, So, yeah, I just, I remember people being, Nobody loves a dream ballet, right, Diana? (laughs) Yes! Oh, I felt that in my bones! Schmigadoon. I loved it so much. Oh my god, I loved it. Cicely Strong sitting, th- thinking about like, well, where, where did I go wrong? And the lights go down and a woman dressed like her comes out and ready to dance. She's like, no, 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 no dream ballet. No one likes them. They slow everything down. Oh, oh I felt that but, so hard. Oh, the original, original Barton Fink trailer. Here you go. Welcome to Los Angeles, Mr. Fink. Excuse me? Howdy, neighbor. Are you a writer, Mr. Fink? Actually, I'm writing for the pictures now. Oh, it's an exciting time now. <laughs> you want the writer is king here at capital pictures we're only interested in one thing can you tell a story bond can you make us laugh can you make us cry can you make us want to break out enjoy a song is that more than one thing okay i love there's a couple ingredients i needed in all my coen brothers movies john goodman he yes. somehow comes off like marlon brando in like every single coen brothers movie after <laughs> and then is in mostly shit the rest of the time john Turturro in his biggest role to date with the coen brothers and then i need some of the best character actors ever yelling at the main characters every time they see them. This movie yes. has so much yelling. It, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, I love the yelling in Coen Brothers movies. Yell at me as fast as you can. Oh, it's like porn. It's the opposite of ASMR, and I love it. <laughs> this definitely has three of our best Johns, yeah. for sure, yes. in this movie. Yeah. So, okay, to summarize, uh, John Turturro plays a play, New York playwright who is totally not Clifford Odets, who, you know, writes about the common man and working class people and their struggles. And he is lured out to Hollywood with, you know, big old payday to write for the films. And the first thing he gets assigned is a Wallace Beery wrestling picture that he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> so he ends up befriending not William Faulkner, played by John Mahoney and his partner, Judy Davis, just like William Faulkner was, was lured out to Hollywood. So many writers in the forties were, were brought out to Hollywood for ridiculous amounts of money. F Scott Fitzgerald came out, you know, both the, the Mankiewicz brothers. Yeah, it's, it's a big, you know, big subject in Mank. Ben Hecht, uh, George Kaufman, you know, everybody who was in the background on Mank. Yeah. They're all, you know, brought out to Hollywood, which was still the studio system. So it's a factory. You show up every day and you write, that's your job. You write what they tell you to write and then you write it and then you move on and you write something else. And he can't figure out how to write this Wally Wally Beery picture. Meanwhile, he is in a hotel that appears to be in hell. (laughs) And his neighbor is John Goodman, who is a salesman who seems very affable and is sort of the common man that John Turturro is supposed to be writing about. But he doesn't fucking listen to him. He doesn't ever take in his actual working man information and they have a weird relationship and then uh bodies turn up yeah and yeah. the movie ends my favorite way with john goodman the coen brothers movie with oh 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 you know it's a good <laughs> coen brothers movie when john goodman's screaming john goodman plays the type of character that is so menacing which is affable but still scary at the same time like this guy is being friendly and yet i'm still nervous like mm-hmm. oof that is a very, very. You never see character. them together and not sweating. 
Yes, it's a very the ner- it's nervous. Of it all. The wallpaper is literally climbing off the walls. Oh, it's yeah. It There's is. mosquitoes attacking him, even though there aren't really mosquitoes in L.A. Like, where the fuck are these mosquitoes coming from? Every room in this hotel seems to be occupied because they're all putting out shoes to get polished, but you never uh-huh. see them. You never see another soul. And you're hearing like vague noises coming from places, but no confirmation. Yeah. So this movie. Okay, so last week we talked about The Doctor, where it was like my little baby brain had retained a memory that I could not identify for a very long time. This was an even bigger one of those for me. So I definitely, again, I was an only child, six or five-year-old at this point with my parents. They kind of just treated me like a little adult. So I remember watching this movie with them. The only thing I had in my memory, though, of this was the scene where he wakes up and he turns to Judy Davis and her back is to him and she he sees the mosquito on her back. For whatever reason, in my little baby brain, I could only remember that exactly what I just said, that little bit of the scene. But it scared me. I remember it scaring me so bad to the point where for years as a child, I could not, I had to sleep with the covers pulled all the way up to my neck. I could not sleep with the covers, like with my shoulder outside of the covers, because Ooh. for some reason I was like, that means you're going to die while you're sleeping in a bed. Did you, did you not so know this is from, you found out what the movie, that clip was from, from this? It took me wow. year, like not until like within the past five years was okay. I able to describe that to someone and then they say, oh, that's Barton Fink. Who did that? Like, Anybody I know? It might have been you, honestly, Antista. <laughs> like truly, it might have been you because I had that in my brain for so long, obviously blocked out the the rest of that scene, which is the scary part of which that is scene. Much, I was going to say it escalates. So obviously I trauma blocked that part of it out. But the fear remained for me, which I think is a more common thing for kids than you think. Like, I think that probably everyone has that memory of seeing something weird that they didn't have anguish for. I'll say it again. A movie that opens with a naked woman in a bathtub and then someone throws the radio in. It had me afraid to be around anything that was plugged in in a bathroom. Well, Do we know what that movie is? No, I don't. I, just, I don't. See? I, I Everyone don't. has something like that. I yeah. kind of mm-hmm. love it, honestly. I, I, someone may have told me, but I forgot. But tell me again yeah. if you remember. Naked woman, you can clearly see boobies. So I'm looking, throws the, a plugged-in radio into the bathtub, and then she dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the opening. Anyway, Barton Fink. Anyway, yeah, Barton Fink, like, just because it's so much more ambiguous than mm-hmm. anything the Coens have done up to this point. So this is their fourth movie? Mm-hmm. Blood Simple, Racing Arizona, Miller's Crossing, and this. And it's like, yeah, it's the ambiguity that you'll see more in later stuff, like A Serious Man. It's just sort so of A Serious Man. Vague. It, it, but like, and Semitic. <laughs> it, very Semitic. <laughs> like, you can interpret it in different ways. Some of it's you know more about a feeling than like what's literally going on Mm -hmm. but it's just like uh i love this movie so freaking much i think every performance is just on point john mahoney as basically william faulkner is fantastic judy davis never gets the appreciation that she deserves michael lerner as somewhere between harry warner and louis b mayer he's the only one who pulled an oscar nomination out of are you kidding he's got two scenes and i mean he slays He's fantastic. He's got but, more. He's got like three scenes. Remember, he's a colonel, right? Had the props oh, about this. Thing that I think <laughs> I Harry Warner did. Where, yeah. Well, now now that Pearl Harbor's happened, I got the costume department. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like the lots, and Tony Shalhoub is in here, just yes. fast talking, mm-hmm. being fantastic. Mm-hmm. And whoever the there's, fuck those cops are, they're in like every uh, Coen Brothers movie. I, I love was, the way they speak. 
I was looking for a scene from them because that dialogue is so fast. The overlapping, the way they do it, is yeah. so great. And I think they're those... they're in Hudsucker Proxy doing the exact same pattern. Yeah. One one of the things that's like why Venture Brothers like speaks to me on a nuclear level <laughs> is there's two characters that talk just like that called Mr. Doe and Mr. Cardholder. Yes. <laughs> and I love that so much like that's such an odd little thing to reference you know this guy got decapitated he was an ear nose and throat doctor now he's missing all three yeah <laughs> <laughs> on of a county doesn't have a head uh, uh, but is this movie i mean is it a metaphor for writing sometimes if you're writing against a deadline it can feel like hellish like there's someone breathing down your neck all the time that you yeah. you know yeah, I, I, I feel like that's I mean, part of it. There's a lot of things it's about. Like, it's about, yeah, it's about re writing. It's about creativity. It's about high culture versus low culture, mm -hmm. you know, because Turturro's uh -huh. there. Martin Fink keeps talking about, like, writing for the common man. And A, he never listens to actual common men. He doesn't mm -hmm. know any common men. And he doesn't realize, no, the movies are kind of the theater of the common man of, you know, making a wrestling picture where... There's a good wrestler and a bad wrestler. Yeah, he's in, he's in Hollywood for... Sometimes they for... have a dame and sometimes they have an orphan that they take care of. He's in Hollywood for like a week and they kind of... I, they don't make a point of saying like, you didn't bother to see a wrestling match. You didn't bother to see a movie. You didn't bother to meet anyone or do anything while you were here. Uh, mm -hmm. You were yep. patently uninterested in the place you were and the thing you were supposed to... You were tasked with doing... The only thing he does to try to get assistance with what he's doing is to go see John Mahoney, who yeah. is... Basically, him Catatonic. in 10, 20 <laughs> yeah. years, basically a, a man that has been driven to the brink of insanity by making the choice that he did to get into writing movies from his more illustrious, you know, writing career. Writing washout. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, uh. Yeah. A it, drunken washout it's, who it's, might not even be doing the writing. He might have not even written the illustrious stuff, yep. though. Yeah. Yes. It, it's, a, it's such a different, difficult movie to explain or classify. Yes, and that's that's the yeah. only reason I said it. It's one of their harder movies to recommend because it's really difficult to describe. Yeah, I guess it feels like comedy? a deep cut, huh? Ooh, yeah, yeah, dark comedy because a lot of it is really funny. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, and then a lot of those like just floating steady cam shots that make it feel dreamlike. Um, mm -hmm. Things I really like about Coen Brothers movies. I, it it has the cinematography, it has all the locations and the the, the clothing. Yeah. It's wonderful. Everything's oh, brown. Everything is brown. Everything is be. brown. Yeah, I should mention it's their first collaboration with Roger Deakins, who's been their cinematographer mm -hmm. ever since. Mm -hmm. yeah. And is the best in the fucking biz. Yeah. And he just, <clears throat> sorry, Sir Roger Deakins. He fucking got knighted and he deserved it. Um, uh, and he has a, yeah, and he has a very nice podcast because he is just a gentle little British man and he just has oh. gentle little British conversations with other cinematographers. I, like, okay. I think he's one of the few people who got the Coen brothers on to talk about, because they don't like yeah. to talk about anything I'm, I'm really pissed I, I found a dick cavett interview with them looking hilariously 80s um, <laughs> <laughs> on a show that looks hilariously 70s um that i didn't get a chance to watch but the coen brothers are only kind of now talking about their shit which they huh. don't do movie commentaries and they don't do yeah. they don't like to be photographed typically uh that's kind of going away yeah. you're gonna marry yeah, a woman no. who's gonna be nominated for oscars every year you fucked up joel <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that's the thing is they had people ask them so many questions. Does this represent this in Barton Fink? Does this? And they're like, uh. Ah. <laughs> yes. You know, like we don't think these things out literally. We think them out sort of thematically. Mm -hmm. And do the mosquitoes represent capitalism? If that's how you feel. Yeah. And that's, it's I, all I'm, of a that... piece. Like slavery comes up a lot of whether or not people have free will or if they're slaves to a system. 
interpret that how you want. That's what great art is for. Is there isn't a literal answer. Right. And it's, it's I'm not always well, in the way. it could be that way. It could be all things. I'm not always in the mood to watch a movie like this, but your comparison True. to Serious Man is the exact same thing I came up with. I think that movie's masterfully well done. Is not what I'd call a satisfying watch. It's more like if I want to watch a music video about pain that that's 90 <laughs> minutes in uh, frustration. I'd watch a Serious Man, and like it's very similar to that. They meet. They they go through the same journey. I I definitely think though that the Coens are our most effective filmmakers who dabble in that sort of ambiguity. Yeah. Like they are, because I never come away from their movies thinking like that was pretty up its own ass. And that's how I feel (laughs) about a lot of that kind of like, I don't know. It's up for interpretation. Like those kinds of movies generally, I'm like, this is fully up your own ass, but never, I never feel that way with the Coens. And I think probably a lot of it has to do with their commitment to comedy. Mm. Because I do think that that gives it that takes the edge off of what am I watching? Because I'm also very amused while I'm watching it. So it's okay. But also, I'm not wrong. Their movies are very tan and brown, right? Um, Sometimes. But but yeah, the last... The last two, definitely. Serious Man, Hail Caesar, and yeah. This and Miller's Crossing. Yeah, well... Are just like polished oak the movie. (laughs) And Raising Arizona is very tan. Both in the desert. Yeah. And also, I would say that um, Oh Brother is also oh, yeah. very tan and brown. It's like piss yellow. Very sepia. Yeah. yeah, like all of that color family, though, is what I'm saying. I like, see. Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't love like a good, a nice red. You rarely ever mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But Barton Fink is a, a fantastic movie. And I love yeah. the John Goodman line. And I've only recently stopped saying it. Oh, so it's, exci- it's exciting time then. <laughs> it's so condescending and weird. But he meant it. We think if if he's real, man. Moving past that, oh, more old timey movie stuff to talk about. Who put this in the doc, Diana? Of course. Why? Of course. I, I, I meant to. It... I meant to call you and like, why am I watching this? Like, is this is, is there a special reason? I just love. It's one of my favorite mystery science theater episodes. I feel like it doesn't love get it. enough respect. It conquered the world. It conquered Look, they the gave, world. They gave away the ending in the title. <laughs> The giant, no, it's, the it's, giant celery man taking on Peter Graves and exactly. Dick Miller. Peter Graves and, uh, and Lee Van Cleef and uh, a carrot that's only about four feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Roger Corman, and I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this caused me to fall down the biggest rabbit hole I've ever fallen uh-huh. down, and that was. I think I've, you know, a little about Mystery Science Theater 3000. Sarah, we talked about this is one of the only episodes not released, um, publicly released on DVD, hmm. not officially yeah. released, because you not only need the rights to Mystery Science Theater 3000, the Gizmonic dudes and Joel and the bots, you need to license the entire film to put in this one episode. It can be very expensive. And I should do this somewhere else. I ended up like, all right, what are the movies that haven't been released? And they're like nine to 12. And who, why is this happening? And like, it's funny, like Quest for the Delta Knights, like nobody is very sure who owns it or even who to talk to. (laughs) Um, Rocket Ship XM, there is a guy who bought the rights in the 70s because he thought it was a historically important movie and (laughs) has licensed other movies he owns to Mystery Science. He's like, but they were mean to this one and I think it's too important to give that treatment to. I will... I have a, in a trust to never license the op- <laughs> the second season opener where it introduces TV's Frank and Tom Servo's new voice will never be officially released according to this guy's will. And this what? this movie is not released, and it's 
It's because of one person who was responsible for a majority of the unreleased Mystery Science Theater episodes. Uh, I think her name is Susan Hart, and she is the widow of the owner and founder of Capital Pictures. Uh, so I... And like in Barton Fink? <laughs> yes. Oh no, well no, it's not no, it's it's like American Capital Pictures. Oh wait, you mean American International? American International, my bad. Oh, that would have been really fun if it were Capital. Oh. I got confused by Barton Fink. And yep. she has look at her history is not only notorious for not giving a shit. She sues this shit like out of anyone. She sued A and E for including footage from this movie in Peter Graves' biography. <laughs> and oh she sued the Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie box set for including a still from this movie in a mini documentary about this studio. And she is, I went down this whole forum thing of like people are transcribing things she's saying to them over the phone. And she's like, I laugh at your misery. These movies are worth more than what any of you are offering. There is this wonderfully tyrannical woman holding the rights to seven mystery science episodes. Like never, they've never been released on DVD. I mean, I kind of love. So do I. Like as a villain, you know, because you know what she doesn't know about YouTube. She doesn't know all of her movies are on YouTube, but it also means they haven't been restored. They have never been shown. They haven't been shown on television since the nineties. They haven't been released since VHS. She's truly the best, most low stakes villain. Like, you know, like she's just like, and if you've seen you know this movie, I'm doubling down. If, if you've seen this movie, I'm like, if you're asking for more than like a thousand dollars, you're insane. How much do you think someone owes you for this film? I could go remake this movie tomorrow. This <laughs> All is a game. my hero. I love her. <laughs> petty. It is, it is so petty. wildly petty. It. And, Good for her. Yeah, and there's there's tons there's tons of wonderful Reddit and forum threads about how she just does not give a shit. These movies are her babies, and she will get what she wants. And she has held out for twenty years, over twenty oh years, on licensing these movies. That's amazing. Anyway, rock debuts. <laughs> <laughs> a, a not unimportant show. I remember it being a little messagey and w- mm-hmm. was sort of a bad fit for running after the Simpsons. And in Living Color, because Rock was like a very traditional sitcom, sometimes a little preachy. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, because it's it's uh, a black family sitcom starring uh, Charles S. Dutton is a garbage collector, and his wife is a nurse, and you know all these different family members come through, and so like a lot of people had like short runs on it, like Garrett Morris was on it, mm-hmm. and uh, Loretta Devine, Tone Loke, Jamie Fox, Richard Roundtree was on Best a couple name. episodes. Best name. I know. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, what was interesting is they they had a stunt episode in their second season, so mm-hmm. in 92, of we're going to do it live. And the response was so big that the rest of the show, they just did it they live. They did it live. It's an astonishing feat. I think the last two, over two seasons were done live after the fucking Simpsons. Or huh. I, they might have moved it around a little bit. But yeah. Yeah, I think they did. Like, I, I remember the first time they did it, he's like, this, like, not like a kidnapper, this is today's newspaper. This is, we are doing mm-hmm. this live. And, you know... We just because Saturday Night Live exists doesn't mean any other show was doing that, hmm. and and most shows still do not do that. <laughs> uh, even talk shows that look like they're live were filmed earlier in the day, so it's still like a pretty ballsy thing. I wish more people did. It should hmm. be more than wrestling and SNL scripted things that are happening live. Yeah, let us see. Uh, the errors are, will be fun. Yeah, exactly. If there's a mistake, it's fun. So yeah. there, I mean, I've seen a. a I think there's some compilations like on YouTube of times where people fucked up where like someone came to a door and forgot their lines. Like, you know, it opens the door. Hey, you know, Mr. Wilson, how are you? Mm-hmm. And he forgot his line. And it's just like, pause. Like, 
just close the store. Well, once you think of something, uh, come on in. <laughs> That's really got to be tough, fun. though. I, I'm not. So fun. It's got to be tougher for the actors, though. Um, oh yeah. And if I I didn't rewatch it, but like I see it all the time. I it's been taken and put on the internet so many times. You know, when something's like stolen so many times, it's artifact. You can barely see what it is anymore. If you've ever <laughs> seen the clip of the drug dealer confronting the bald man at his front door, and then the old man lectures him into giving up and not killing him, like that's from Rock. It's oh, it's <laughs> difficult to see. The Charles S. Dutton, a fascinating man. Um, murdered someone early in his life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then kind of went on to do really interesting work and really interesting things for a very, very long time, including oh. uh, Alien 3. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the Emmys are also this week. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. So much TV. And who's hosting the Emmys this year? I don't even remember. Uh, Dennis Miller. Yeah. Uh, all right. right Chachi. Yeah, babe. Chachi. Uh, Chachi. <laughs> uh, looks like it's going to be Cheers Year. Mm. Mm. And it was uh, outstanding comedy, and did it win for? I thought it went for some other things. Probably. I looked at this earlier. Um, oh, like Percy Alley. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cheers had the most nominations, ten, and won four awards. I do feel like the Academy Awards winning for best variety music or comedy program is a little bit like Hollywood yeah. sucking its own. Dick. It does smell oh, like enjoying the smell of your own farts, especially after <laughs> winning over in Living Color. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or like the eulogy to Jim Henson. Yeah. We're going to give yeah. it to the Academy Awards because, man, all the movies are really good that year that they talked about. James Earl Jones and Burt Reynolds. Kurt, I don't know. Which ones of these are in, stand out to you guys? Well, James Earl Jones winning for Gabriel's Fire, just the pilot, which was a show that like barely ran mm-hmm. and then came back as like in a different format and then got canceled really fast. But hmm. that was about a guy who, like just got out of prison and like his life like, oh, this is an interesting idea. And he's really good in it, but the show wasn't as good. Uh, I see Patricia Wedding winning for 30-something. I think 30-something's just been canceled. Uh, but Reynolds winning for Evening Shade. Cool. Lynn Whitfield for Josephine Baker Story. Cool. Oh, Jonathan Winters winning for Davis Rules for Supporting Actor. And James Earl Jones winning again for a guest spot on yeah. Heat Wave. Damn. Two, two wins. All right. Yeah. And everything else is just LA sort of like, law winning yeah. for writing, blah blah blah. ABC won the most. You get it. Um, oh, outstanding guest actress in a comedy series was Colleen Dewhurst playing Murphy Brown's mom. Unfortunately, we're going to be talking about her at the end of the show. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah. no! <laughs> Diane has never spoiled that section before. Sorry, um, but it's hard to spoil history. Um, and then, incredibly big news in the video game world. Um, tell them, Paul Rudd. <laughs> Decide to step up to this kind of power, this kind of challenge, this kind of flying, crashing, feeling. When you decide to get serious, there's only one place to come, the games of Super Nintendo. No one else creates this kind of experience. Because no- the next Nintendo, after... Ooh, that the... did not sound like Paul Rudd's voice. It's not, but if, you have, <laughs> if you've seen that commercial, it is a young man... Uh, with yep. hair a little longer than mine, playing a Super Nintendo at a drive-in by himself. I and, oh god, I have seen that. And it is ad. definitely yeah. a young we, Paul Rudd. And we have Paul Rudd twenty years later. It's mm-hmm. true. I can't wait. To <laughs> and talk he looks the that. same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I guess we'll talk about this more in the video game show with Mr. Diana Good and Michael Paris uh, and Maddie Allen. But the launch of the Super Nintendo in America, it is Nintendo doing the same thing twice. We just assume like. Well, now video games are ubiquitous. There's no way this one company can maintain a stranglehold on this entire industry. But it did. And in my opinion, 
I have more nostalgia for like the peripherals and the imagery, but the games on the Super Nintendo are arguably all better. They're all better games than anything on the Nintendo. I can't play anything on the Nintendo at all really anymore. And anything on the Super Nintendo I can load up tonight and play for the rest of the night. I, I have wondered technologically, mm-hmm. was the move to Super Nintendo like an 8-bit to 16-bit kind yes. of thing? Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Diana, you're great in this. Keep going. More did colors, get, more colors, more sound. Did I get um, the bits right? You did. Exactly oh. correct. We went from 8-bit to 16-bit. They doubled. And, you know, they've doubled so many times now we don't even right. count them anymore. We we right. use other factors, but like... Wow. And then to think like in not even 10 years and they're up to 64, mm-hmm. they've doubled and doubled and doubled and doubled. They had to skip out of the 32-bit era and huh. jump straight to 64, which was a big lie. But everything gets better, including the music. And this <laughs> that also means the launch of the Super Nintendo, the launch of certain games. Way more than were launched in Japan. F-Zero, Pilot Wings, and a little one called Super Mario World. You might remember the music. Okay, that, <laughs> that is a, um... a trick I use from Video Game Apocalypse that's not going to be as funny here. But it makes, still makes me laugh. Silver Gunner for Life, great remix, great Flintstone remixes. <laughs> All classic game music. Meant to troll everyone on YouTube. It's great. Lastly, the music of 1991. Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams is still number one. Let's Holy call it smokes. the hot shots of the music chart. Uh, but we will have some new releases, including Vanessa Williams with The Comfort Zone, straight off of her success and Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man. Yep. Um, big album. This is a big album, though. I mean, she had like poppy hits before, right stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is this has got a song in it. You've heard a thousand Ooh. fucking st- yes. that one. Not I the Pocahontas one, but sure. the other one. The other one. That yeah. could have also been a Disney song. Yep. We'll go out. All I'm saying is that sometimes the sun goes around the moon. Save the best for life. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Oh, God. It took forever. Sorry. I felt. Also, oh, victory lap. False. What? <laughs> that does not go. That does no. not happen. Oh, okay. And then uh, Help Yourself by Julian Lennon. That's not his first album, is it? No. Oh, no. no he, he had a bunch of them. Uh, Notorious by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Pocket Full of Kryptonite by Spin Doctors. The, mm-hmm. Looks like the one album I owned out of this little collection. Um, if you <laughs> if, own this album. Mistaken Identity by Donna Summer. And Primal Scream, uh, Scream Delicia? Screamadelica. Screamadelica. Um, which is on the Rolling Stones 500 greatest albums. Greatest albums yeah. of all time list. Yeah. I refuse to go out with Two Princes by Spin Doctors. That, I know that was that's the one that's been in every romantic comedy ad for the last 30 years. But that's, I think, their second single. And their first single, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, I quite prefer. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I, was, I don't I'm think so... you'll talk about it enough. I don't think you'll die on this hill, but yeah. I prefer this song. <laughs> I mean, absolutely Two Princes is a song that dates any trailer or music or uh, romantic comedy but i was also thinking of another song that nobody talks about roll to me by delamitri also <laughs> like if that is in a movie i know exactly the year and mm-hmm. maybe the month that this movie is supposed mm-hmm. to be taking place if you look closer you probably know the, who the producer is <laughs> I, I we literally had a conversation one time one of the hardest i've ever laughed uh, we were on a, on the highway going like 80 miles an hour Two Princes comes on, and we were having that same conversation. We're like, there were like three Spin Doctor songs on the radio simultaneously, all 
two princes emerged like years later as the one people still talk about. I and like, do we really want to have the conversation? What is truly the best Spin Doctor song? And everyone's <laughs> like, no, no, no. And my friend John, staring off the distance, just goes refrigerator car, and <laughs> and says nothing. And then we all laugh. I'm like, is that really? He's like, you got to hear refrigerator car. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I don't know. Refrigerator cars become shorthand that it's something that makes us laugh because it is a real Spin Doctor song. John thinks rises above all others. Oh damn! <laughs> wow, that's off this album. Do we need to go out with refrigerator cars? <laughs> I've never listened to it. Please no. Please no. I think, I think we Williams. need to do refrigerator car. I think we need to bring it to the masses <laughs> in honor of John. Is it the John I know? Yeah, yeah, no. it is. That man does have strong opinions. He has so. weird opinions about music. Remember, I said no. I haven't listened to it yet. Overruled. <laughs> Refrigerator car. <laughs> Please don't stop listening to the show because we got a lot more to talk about when we get back. Folks, you might have heard us talk about Manscaped and the importance of male grooming before. Well, now that summer is upon us and the clothes are starting to come off, it's more important than ever to give yourself a little boost of confidence and look your personal best by taking care of some of that stray body hair. Some of it down there. Since it's so hot, you might even want to trim things a bit shorter than usual. And when you do, take it from two guys who have learned the hard way, more than we care to admit, you want to be sure you're doing so safely, especially when trimming the hair down there. And that is where Manscaped can help. It may be a scorcher out there, but it's time to bundle up in here. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, a.k.a. the GOAT of ball trimmers. Go! Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold on to your goodies. Their fourth-generation Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunctional on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? In the shower or in the wild, and from your chest pubes all the way down to your ball fro, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer for you. Want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks snags and tugs in those delicate holes not those delicate holes you sickos your ear and nose holes Ugh, uh, once you're done grooming you seal the deal with manscaped delightfully scented liquid formulations before heading outside use crop preserver ball deodorant to keep you on your game in the heat then after trimming the lawn and whacking your weeds give your beach balls a boost with crop reviver there are a few things as refreshing as a little spritz from the crop reviver Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort in boxers to another level and get 20% off and free shipping with the code LASERTIME at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code LASERTIME, one word, LASERTIME at manscaped.com. 
Escape the shrubs and the weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. back in 2001 with uh, Rock the Boat by Aaliyah and that'll be great song really good song very weird in a little bit um, mm-hmm. I gotta interrupt that because I was told by Sarah I would make the previous story I told about refrigerator car funnier if you knew that conversation took place 10 years ago not 30 years ago uh, <laughs> a man going to bat for the very obscure song they called refrigerator car and in 2011 <laughs> And I'm sorry, John, you were wrong. I listened to Refrigerator Car and I made the editorial decision that we are not going out with Hell it. Hell yeah! It is inferior yes. to Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Oh. Clearly inferior. Wow. Wow. This, is this precedented that we said we were going to go out on a song and then we lied. You called an audible? I no pun intended? There were, there were some times <laughs> where like, uh, we got to go out with this song instead. And usually everyone will acquiesce. There's never, there's never really been a fight over a, a rejoiner or a closer. No, nope, um, I did it. You can't stop me. I, I don't. <laughs> I got final cut here. No one. I said listened it. to it. I didn't like it. But we are in 2001 now. Hello, Rock the Boat by Aaliyah brought us in, so you know it's a different decade than 1991. New releases out August 20th to the 26th in 2001 also include Intensive by Way Out West. Ooh, I almost forgot that last one. The self-titled debut of Adima, Clo- uh, Closer by Better Than Ezra. Uh, nice by Rollins Band, Project English by Juvenile, Start Static by Sugar Cult, Grave Disorder by The Damned, Pull My Chain by Toby Keith, The War of Art by American Head Charge, Deep Shadows and Brilliant Highlights by Him, Fallen by Alicia Keys is number one. And are we going out with Aaliyah because it's on the charts or because we need to talk about Aaliyah right now? Yeah, we came in with Rock the Boat by Aaliyah because that's the video she was filming this week when her Cessna crashed coming back from the Bahamas, uh, killing her and eight others. She was 22. Just a baby. And this was my first experience working in a newsroom where I have to break news to somebody Mm. because someone called us that night and was saying, my daughter, like her 14-year-old daughter is saying, like, she's seeing on the internet that Aaliyah died. Is that true? And I like checked the wires like just as the first news came out, just the brief saying, yeah, Aaliyah in plane crash in Bahamas past, you know, I think 22. I remember MTV I reporting on that one... and they didn't, ha- they didn't have concrete information at that point. No, it was just, just the report that her plane crashed and we don't know. And I had to be the one to tell her like, it looks like she might be dead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Tragic. And it sucked. That sucks. Tragic. It sucks. She was only 22. It sucks. All those people died. Everything about it sucks. I thought it yeah. sucked that I uh, like... I was like, I'm not even sure what she looks like. Because all the music videos I'd seen her into that point, she's in a lot of clothing and huge sunglasses oh. and a hat. And uh, and then she was in that one movie. I'm like, this girl is gorgeous. Take for our time. I don't know how much we bring up about the R. Kelly grooming nonsense, but um, it's all yeah. pretty uncomfortable. And yeah, she was like 14, 15, I think. Uh, discovered her. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but she was like moving away from that. And yeah, it seemed had a movie like a career, and mm-hmm. yeah, just it just all that promise. That's what pisses me off so much. It's like we never got to see what she could do. Mm-hmm. And yet, I would love to go up in any of your Cessnas. So please, people, I want to want to see, want to fly the skies. No. Yeah. Hard pass, hard pass. Mm-hmm. That and helicopters. I'm good. Mm-hmm. 
It's on I mean, my fuck it list of things I'll never do. I mean, it's on my number one list of like, it's a pretty cool way to go. Um, <laughs> it's one last roller coaster ride. Yeah. Fuck, fuck, I'm streaming this, fuck! All right, all right, it's too soon for after Kobe to start talking like that. No, yeah. More news from 20 years ago. Uh, Representative Gary Condit is interviewed by Connie Chung about his relationship with missing woman Chandra Levy, evades most questions, and looks super sketchy. <laughs> yep. So I think we might have missed it in May when she first disappeared. Mm. Uh, mm. I thought I had it in there, and I don't know if we mentioned it, but this is the number one story before 9-11 bumps it off. Everything that uh, Chandra Levy, who's a young lady from Modesto, was like interning with the Bureau of Prisons, I think, and was having an affair with her representative, Gary Condit. And then she went missing. Gary. And everyone, and he acted so fucking sketchy. Like he was driving out to a McDonald's out in the middle of nowhere and like throwing away gifts that she gave him. And it was like, he, he just lied constantly to the cops. Turns out he had fucking nothing to do with it. Yeah. He was just trying to hide this affair. Mm-hmm. Mm. And his super ridiculous sketchiness made it really look like he killed her. And this whole thing was super frustrating because a million reasons. Me personally, uh, I knew Chandra Levy. What? What? Yeah, we were acquaintances. Not friends, but we were acquaintances. We we were in journalism school together. Oh. And I had a couple classes with her. And just the way she was treated in the media was like somewhere between, oh, this poor darling woman and like this weird temptress. What crazy shit was she getting into? Why would she seduce this weird guy? And it's like, could you make up your minds like she's missing and presumed dead? Like she's a victim here, but sometimes she got sort of Lewinsky'd. Ugh. And it really pissed me off because like, I didn't know her very well, but she seemed to be like a real apple polisher mm. and kind of naive about men. Mm. That's kind of the, the bad combo. I got. Yeah. Mm. And that seems to be what happened. You know, she just started having this affair with this older dude who was her congressman who had helped her get this internship. And he was just, if he had just told what he knew right away, they wouldn't have focused all this attention on him. And to this day, most people think he killed her. Yes. He yes. I kind of <laughs> did until we just talked about it. Honestly, I was like, oh, yeah, that guy who murdered Chandra Lee. Did we know who did kill her? There is a guy in prison for it mm. because a year from now, her body is found in Rock Creek Park. And uh, it seems like, yeah, she just went out jogging and she got yeah. jumped by somebody. Rock and there's Creek- a guy. Sorry, Rock Creek Park bodies get found there. Yeah, it's a very, very wild park in the D.C. area. And uh, yeah, this guy who had some like kind of tried to grab a couple other women has gone. It was convicted for it. But there's like the evidence on him is pretty sketchy, too. Like there's a lot of jailhouse informants saying that he Mm. bragged about it. It's like I never Mm, trust mm, them. mm, There's mm. but there's no evidence because she was so decomposed when they found her. So (sighs) we might not ever actually know for sure. Oh, great segue into cool, first strong cool, bad email cool, cool. <laughs> on Homestar yeah, Runner. <laughs> so one, one little nice piece of, of news this week, though. It's the 20th anniversary of the first strong bad email on Homestar Runner. Yeah, one of the okay. one of the first Flash things I remember everyone being obsessed with. I have something very embarrassing to admit. What's that? Oh, no. I do not know what this is. <gasps> this is one of those things that people How? that I hung with, especially my first college boyfriend, who you know, Antista, mm-hmm. They all loved it, and I just was like, yeah, it's very cool, but nobody actually showed me what it was, so I have no idea what it is, and I never, like, got around to checking it out. I was just always like, yes, very funny, very cool, and I I never knew what it even was. uh, Let me be also be uh, as clear as Sarah. 
I don't really know what the rest of Homestar Runner is. I know Strong Bad <laughs> emails. Uh, those, I feel vindicated. No, I mean, I, I do. and I, I learned eventually, but like I got there through Strong Bad emails yeah. because they became, they became, what is it? They, well, it became a, a thing where he'd answer viewer mail, but then would kind of go off on like super elaborate animated tangents that could last up to 10 minutes. Okay, and but- Homestar Runner is like a character that's like a Flash. Homestar video. Runner is a character in Homestar Runner, yes. But then so is Marzipan. This is all really vague, people. But Strong Bad is, you know, he's the one who got his own game uh, yeah. eventually. So it's it's a, a Flash anim- they're, they're Flash cartoons starring a whole bunch of characters. And Homestar Runner is supposed to be the main one. And there's also Strong Bad and Strong Sad and Marzipan and Coach C. And there's all these like goofy characters in this little town. And they have like silly interactions and adventures and the strong bad became the breakout because he would answer these emails and then it would become this you know little animated sketch for a while of him like pranking one of the other characters or talking about um a teen you know this girl wrote in about like her teenage friends and then spun off into you know the teen girl squad adventures i have a crush on every boy wait so like (laughs) but real humans would write emails to it's debatable yes well yeah i mean that's the conceit yes right to the the cartoon character okay answer them okay okay gotcha gotcha. that's where like is that where trogdor comes from and yep yeah Yep, Trogdor he teaches you how to draw a dragon. That, that song S, was in Guitar Hero, Sarah. We might, you might have played and then it. Another S, and you write consummate V's, consummate V's for his eyebrows, and then one big beefy arm. I saw a meme just today of goddamn Trogdor. So, yep. yeah. Uh, Strong Bad Emails, 20 years old this week. Uh, movies of 2001, American Pie 2 is still number one at the box office. Ugh. Oh, shut up. Now who's not getting men? And Good, then, hard pass. And then Amy's Orgasm is out this week. Good for her. Starring Julia da- Julie Davis, Nick Chinland, and Jeff Cesario. Yeah, so this could not be called that in video stores as Amy's O. Right. Oh. I... Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, Julie Davis, who also directed All Over the Guy that we talked about last week. Yay. Okay. Uh, and... um, but yeah, it's about, uh, you know, this like feminist who feels like she never had a good enough orgasm then she ends up with this like shock jock guy that she, she has nothing in common with but you know it's a tiny indie silly mm. movie it's, it's cute mm. and then also out this week is uh, american rhapsody with scarlett johansson natasha kinski and tony goldwyn is this, um, is this early scarlett johansson's first film no 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 i mean she's in home alone three okay <laughs> that's right <laughs> um we're just, we're just almost getting the ghost world yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Ghost World is like technically out in limited release and we're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. that's sort of the big movie that got her, everyone's attention. But this one is like she is it's a story of this like Hungarian immigrant. And it's like moves in with her. Her family moves to America like without her. And then she catches up with them and it's like draw a struggle between where she actually wants to be. And all every review that I read was like, it's fine. But damn, it's Scarlett Johansson. Like, let's keep an eye on her. Like. Huh. She has, she's a, you know, a teenager with some real, real ta- yeah, talent there. Keep a like, creepy, yeah. critical eye on her. Let's yeah. <laughs> I, I love when I see that, though. Just some total random thing. It's like, you know, this is Daniel Day-Lewis fella. <laughs> he, he's got some promise. Uh, I just wish he'd, I just wish he'd appear on uh, Jimmy Kimmel more. And then also out this week, everyone's favorite Woody Allen movie, Curse the Jade Scorpion. Uh, Helen Hunt. Even then he actually, says it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> But, wow. but, you know, I have to make one movie every single year to to, yes, to float my lifestyle with my stepdaughter. And so yeah. I make a movie every year. Yeah. Uh, it's got a cute idea, and then it just kind of keeps going. <laughs> um, 
and yeah, even Woody Allen said like, eh, it wasn't what I really wanted it to be. And I probably shouldn't have starred in it. I should have gotten somebody else. But it's about like this detective who like gets hypnotized by a stage magician. And then the stage magician like uses his hypnotism to make him go steal a bunch of jewelry. Hmm. And then the detective like, but he doesn't remember any of that. And so he has to like try to solve his own crime. That's yeah. cute. Yeah. But that's like a small part of the movie and it just the rest of it is about him wanting to get with Helen Hunt and she's with Dan Aykroyd and it's like, yeah. Wow. She's almost age appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give or take 30 years. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I said almost. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, oh boy. I thought I remember this being titled a little differently. I think it is in the opening. Pam Greer, Joanna Cassidy, Clea Duvall, Jason Statham with the most hair I have ever seen him with, uh, Natasha Henstridge and Ice Cube, John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. We've got a situation there. Everybody in the mart's gone inside. What the hell is going on out there? Whatever used to live here, we woke it up. It takes us. I'm talking about a kind of possession. Something's kicking out there. We need us, and we need you. None of us is going to survive if we don't stick together. Come on. Time to stay alive. That's, that's a clip from the end of the movie. <laughs> but wow. Yeah, in the trailer. What are you doing? But the last... I, I, I know for sure John Carpenter directed one more film, but a much, even yet smaller film than Ghost of Mars. But let's just call it John Carpenter's final film. Mm. Because there's one more weird one in there somewhere in a couple of TV anthology episodes. But it is, sorry, I was just watching movies like It Conquer the World in the previous segment. This is a B movie of that caliber. And when you judge it like that, it is not bad. But it got yeah. savage because like it is very deliberately cheap as fuck. It is very, very small. It takes yeah. place almost entirely on one set. And you will get way more out of this movie, which is a story of... Mars is almost completely terraformed and getting ready to be colonized. And then basically the previous inhabitants zombify humans and it's a zombie movie, but everyone's like a, a slightly smarter, much weirder human with a lot of makeup effects. And if you think of it, like that's how we get the Reavers and Firefly and Serenity. It makes a lot more sense because they, they behave and act like Reavers down to their teeth and everything. They file down their teeth. They uh, pin their skin and wear other skin as clothing. Um, it can be pretty gross, but deliciously gross. There are some buzz saws thrown in here, some people brutally decapitated. Mm. It wasn't, it was not not fun, but it is like, it does feel like it's from a different decade. And I watched They yep. Live like two weeks ago, so I'm not shitting on John Carpenter. I know he does like, he does this intentionally. It Well, yeah, it feels like it's from a different decade because it started out as Escape from Mars. The final part of the Escape from trilogy uh, and uh, Escape from L.A. didn't do very well. And they realized, eh, let's not put Snake Plitzkin on Mars. Yeah, that's why this movie let's, failed. Let's rewrite it. Let's, what if it was Ice Cube instead? And he's fine <laughs> doing the only kind of acting that Ice Cube can do, which is screaming and mug, mean mugging. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah, it's fine. It's totally serviceable. It's fine. Like it's sort of part aliens, part pitch black. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll I'll take pitch black over this generally. And the idea of like we've got to band together against the bad thing. Are you going to help us, convict guy? It's like oh, I'll totally take pitch black. It but, is. It is almost even judging it up against cheap pitch black. It is almost too cheap looking to be released in theaters. Yeah. It, it really looks like a like a smaller straight to HBO film. There is some attempts at digital effects in there that are like straight Ooh. up PlayStation One. 
yeah, wow, it's, they look bad. And it's like we talked about Total Recall like uh, almost a year ago to the day, a movie, a violent movie set on Mars. And this is all practical effects, like mm-hmm. on a much smaller scale. And I don't want to say embarrassingly so. It's just like it, it, it does. I, I still find it bizarre that's got a theatrical release. But yeah, maybe... it does. It does feel direct to DVD mm-hmm. if it weren't for John Carpenter's name on it. It totally would be. Yeah, I think. And I think if it was, people might have more positive memories of it because the, the, the fans would have sought it out instead of putting it in the public mind. And I got to be honest, I, I didn't. I don't think I knew who John Carpenter was when this movie came out. I had just, just I'd seen Halloween, but like I didn't know who made it. Uh, I I may have seen another one of his movies, but I didn't know who what John Carpenter's name meant yet. I had was discovering that in my twenties because um, I was too young to be there when it all came out. Shut up, everyone! Yeah. Uh, can't all be born experts. But I love John Carpenter now to a ridiculous degree, and this is not even my least favorite movie of his. So I, I have to recommend no. Prince of Darkness. No, <laughs> vampires. Vampire. I have not seen vampires. Is my Ooh. it's well my big complaint is it treats women really 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 badly. Oh yeah, I mean, there's this the... one is more cool because like Natasha Henstridge and Pam Greer are like kicking so much ass. And Pam yeah. Greer is like I, I I don't know what fiction the movie had set up. Pam Greer is very clearly the lesbian, and Jason Statham comes across and like is really awful to Natasha Henstridge. Like what? There's not a lot of us breeders left implying like everyone's gay <laughs> and, <laughs> and like let's just do it who gives a shit we're gonna die anyway why don't you ride the jason <laughs> why don't you ride the satan pony and, <laughs> and, he, and that is kind paraphrasing of his his, his, his hitting on natasha entridge who is fucking really fun in this movie actually yeah. big tough lady kicks a lot of ass yeah. uh and then who knows will she live to the end i didn't know because i had to jump into the Actual greatest movie of the week, Freddie Prince Jr.'s Summer Catch. Just kidding. Um, I, I'm trying to remember. Oh, no. Sarah looks angry. She looks really angry. <laughs> Is this the one with Kevin Smith in it or the one where he visits the man show? <laughs> There's always, a, like, I am not going to see a Freddie Prince Jr. movie, but if this comes on cable, I might watch it to see that part. And I, I huh. couldn't remember. I Did this have one of those? Okay, good. Brittany Murphy, Fred Ward, Matthew Lillard again. Jessica Beale and Freddie Prince Jr. in Summer Catch. This is Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Every summer, the hottest college players in the country come here to play ball. I'm real good. Come on, let me hear that Republican song. (laughs) It's their chance to be discovered and make it to the big leagues. Don't turn around and take your time around the corners. As for me, I'm about to get my shot. I grew up here, and there's nothing that's going to stop me from getting out. So you mow her lawn. There it is! I just wanted to hear a little bit of that Republica lick. That's, a, that's one of the most underrated songs of the early 90s, mid-90s. But Summer Catch, I wouldn't see this if you paid me $100. Good, because it is wretched. <laughs> it's no good. It is, like, truly one of the laziest movies I've ever seen. Like... Literally, this was first draft. The whole movie was the first draft. And everybody is in, like, rehearsal mode acting. Like, (laughs) hey, I really like you. Hey, I love baseball. Like, nobody's giving a shit during this movie. (laughs) Like, it is so lazy. It's wild. And it's so cliched. I mean, Freddie Prince Jr. is the townie who, like, grew up and he, like, does all the maintenance in the town and he somehow has lived in this teeny town forever wanting to like 
get into this farm team to go play the big leagues. And yet he's just now meeting like richy rich girl, Jessica Beal, who he mows her lawn, which of course there are tons of jokes about that, that are absolutely hilarious. Dude, like um, pubic hair. <laughs> from Matthew Lillard, of course, who else would deliver that sort of rat. gem? But yeah, it's really terrible. I don't think we've had a movie um, described as wretched. So like, I'm <laughs> pretty happy with that description. I will have to say <laughs> that I would rather watch this movie about Brittany Murphy, like, as also one of the towny girls, like, having the best time of her life with all these, like, hot jocks that come into her town every year. That's the movie Yay. I want to see. That's the movie that should have been made. Instead, we get this, like, piece of trash. Yeah. Very. Uh, right. See? Uh, Skip it. Oh, I wonder if in the end he tries really hard and achieves his dreams and gets the girl. Yeah, and also gets the love of his dad, who's like maybe a drunk? Oh. Question mark. It's always a question with Fred Ward, right? Yeah, uh, he, he just played the possibly drunk dad in thirty minutes or less. You can't so really yeah. can't really tell. True. Yeah. And wow, one of the most mildly incomprehensible movies. Oh, Sarah's got tiny Leslie Nope mouth. Yeah. Um, I- <laughs> You know what we were talking about being up your own ass? Ooh, now, oh, now, ho- now hold the phone. This here. is so up its own ass. It is peeking out through tonsils. It's- like, it is. <laughs> wow. And I'm not saying it doesn't have funny parts. Yeah. Because it definitely does. But it is super up its own ass. And it's for like seven people. Drink that coffee. Taste the booger flavor. Like, I, I, there's so many lines I love in this movie. It was evocative of a certain time in my life. I know. Um, do nostalgia. you? No, I figured this would be the big nostalgia. How's, how's this for nostalgia? I invited a girl over to the house I just moved into, just moved out of my parents' house. And I probably could have like set up a proper date with her, but I was like, yo, we got our own internet and I just stole... I just stole a movie off the internet. And then she's like, what? It's in theaters. I'm like, I know! You should come over and see it. And I only remember that because we made love... In between queuing the three parts of the torrent, which is how you had to download movies back then, in between every file transfer. Um, I can't believe you just said made love. I didn't like. I was. I didn't want to be indelicate. Uh, people, people know I have a soft made side. Love. Nobody's yeah. ever. Nobody's ever uttered those words. What should in I have said, Sarah? With this movie. What should Let's I have just said? put it that way. I thought that it's one of my greatest memories. It really is because, like, we were laughing, laughing, laughing in between. Another kind of elation. And then... (laughs) Are you sure that's what she was laughing at? Uh, Oh, come on. You think it was my back name? (laughs) We were were doing some weird stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Reverse 69. (laughs) (laughs) Your butt's touching my shoulders. And your butt's touching my shoulders. (laughs) I guess that's just 96, right? (laughs) Summer of 96. I'll never forget. This is very appropriate for the movie we're about to talk about. It's like a deleted scene from it. Elijah Dushku, Chris Rock, uh, Jason Lee, Ben Affleck, Will Ferrell, Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes, and Jay and Silent Bob strike back. You know what I'd like to see, Silent Bob? Two smooth pimps making out with hot chicks. How about not? An explosion. Damn! Strong language. Oh, sweet irony. And you know who'd be bad in it? Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. I wonder if there's a movie out there like that. Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Smoking beep, doing beep, drinking beep. I'm censoring myself. We're on TV. Rated R. Oh, 
that's great. They have an exclusive TV spot joke. The movie, I think, is mostly bad because it's a much smaller, like, Avengers Endgame. It is the culmination <laughs> of, like, it is not only the culmination of, like, like several films with a way too many in-jokes. I, yeah. I was shocked to learn, like, faster than Walt Flanagan's, Walt Flanagan is just your friend? He's not even on comic book men yet? This is a reference made in multiple Kevin Smith movies. That he's faster than his friend's dog. This movie, this is a movie made of just those jokes. Things you would, if you weren't reading the View Askew website or movie Poop Shoot, which is literally in the fucking film. I'm not saying you have to like it. Why? Why do? Why? I'm saying. I'm saying to its discredit, it's incomprehensible if you don't know all that. Well, I'm just saying that I don't think it's fair that people shit all over Adam Sandler for doing the exact same thing. Honestly. That motherfucker just started connecting his universe but again. Nobody shits on Kevin Smith. Like, I mean, on. yeah, <laughs> but he's making and making a movie that's supposed to be the culmination of four other movies, which generally are standalone films like Chasing nope, Amy. They're all connected. Should be a standalone film, and and they just sort of shoved Jay and Silent Bob in no, there. No, they're literally leaving for Mallrats at the end of that scene. I know. No, they're leaving they, for Dogma. Are they? Okay, you remember yeah. better than me. Yeah, they're leaving for Dogma. They want to go to Chicago because they want to go live in a John Hughes movie. Yeah, technically the the so, fifth the fifth movie, but also closing out the Viewers universe. Right. Even though he comes back with Clerks two five years later. Yes, but the Viewers uh, thing is gone. Right. But the the these are. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of fun to have these things, you know, like all these movies kind of interconnect with like a minor character here turns into a major character in this next movie or whatever. But it's like they weren't differentiated enough. Like mm-hmm. these characters are so all very similar that the difference between, you know, this Ben Affleck character from over here and that Ben Affleck character over there. Yeah. Not huge. Like what different. what is the difference between Jason Lee's Banky and his Mallrats character? And it is. Yeah. One is one is gay at the end and that's about it. And then the fact that they they have the audacity for Ben Affleck to make a joke about Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. <laughs> He's in the movie Moonraper, which I still think is funny. <laughs> what the, this is like approaching levels of Ocean's 12 where well, Julia Roberts has to pretend to be Julia Roberts. Those are the scenes I love the most. They're making Goodwill Hunting 2 and they have the supporting cast from that how about them Apple scene in it? And they're like, Gus, and it's Gus Van Sant counting piles of money going, I'm busy. All these little touches, that, especially with those, with directors we don't have anymore. Wes Craven's in this movie. What's her name? Shannon Doherty comes back for that brief scene. Like, why is the monkey in the latest Scream movie? And Wes Craven's like, people love monkeys. And Jason Mewes grabs the monkey, holds a gun. I'm like, we love this monkey. See? <laughs> See? <laughs> these yeah, are all I funny. Mean- the funniest fuck scenes that you're like, don't make a lick of sense if you're not following, like, at the end of the movie, they beat the shit out of Magnolia fan 69. Kevin Smith was notorious for going off on the movie Magnolia. And that's like an in-joke you just aren't going to get unless you're steeped in this. And this movie bombed, I think, as a result of that. It got a wide release. But, yeah. like, nope. These characters aren't as popular as the movie seems to think they are. Yeah, that's definitely the pro. I mean, it would be something if it were more like literally all his other movies where it's like, if you get that reference, fine. But if you don't, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there is an awful lot of, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, <laughs> man, because mm-hmm. I haven't watched Clerks 14 times. So I don't know who you're referring to. This scene is going nowhere. You don't know that Will Ferrell's character is a reference to the three characters from Land of the Lost, Marshall, well, Will, he, and Holly. And that, 
eventually he was in the Land of the Lost movie. Yes, mm-hmm. that kind of blows my mind. It's very strange. No, I, I appreciate Marshall Will and Holly. Marshall Will and Holly. That's the kind of joke I get. Yeah, that they end up. Jay and Silent Bob basically uh, end up going on a road trip to Hollywood uh, with an orangutan eventually to try to stop the shitty Hollywood adaptation of a comic book that is based on them. That's arguably the story, quote unquote, plot. It's so similar to Reboot as well. And I which reboot. which I watched and felt the same way. Like this is probably objectively not good. I am having What's a reboot. Jane saw the Bob reboot. Oh, the like the movie it came out, a couple years ago. It came out like oh, okay. less than two years ago. Yeah, so on Amazon well, Prime that, now. That's what I was gonna say. Is actually like this movie probably would have done gangbusters as VOD because probably, the people yeah. who really wanted to see it would be seeing it that would not have the expectations of a wide theatrical release and then therefore have the like bomb effect of it like people could seek it out and then it would be the appropriate amount of money for a VOD. Still more successful at the box office than any other Kevin Smith film. But it moved but it moved over to the dimension label, like away from Miramax and got released like a like a scream instead of like Miramax. But I think it made I think it made eleven million the first week. I remember specifically because Kevin Smith would write minute by minute what was happening with the movie while this is all happening. I can't remember if this is the movie he's like, Yeah, I made a commentary. Go back to the theater, watch it again, and you can listen to my commentary. Here's a free commentary, and everyone's like the theater owners are like, Did you just encourage to people to bring recording devices into the movie theater? Uh <laughs> we'll sue you rent. I, I mean I do have to say, Kevin Smith is not for me. Yeah. Like yeah. absolutely. I mean Dogma is fine, but other than that, yeah. So, you know, that's my feelings about that. So this movie is it's, 100% not, could not be less for me, it's honestly. It's perfectly, perfectly okay, but we're like living in a, we're living in a time with like no podcasts, right. with no YouTube, and like. All we have are the DVDs of uh, fucking Kevin Smith. Yeah chit-chatting in his giant shorts, which I do. <laughs> Literally, the only thing that I have of Kevin Smith's that I like, yeah. actually. I, I've watched that DVD of him. The, it? An Evening with Kevin Smith? And even, yes, I've watched that multiple times. You like the giant really metal, metal spider story? Yes. <laughs> the actual movies for me when people some occasionally shit on kevin smith for like his shortcomings like you still have to remember it just felt like you know young dorky comic book reader just was interesting that felt like you have one of you behind the gate Mm -hmm. and and talking about his experiences and making in jokes and making a shared universe when literally no one was interested in doing that it was it was fun to notice in hindsight because we didn't notice right away and uh yeah, so I, I I love this movie. I've seen it a billion times, but the the last time I saw it, it was just like you cannot show this to anyone who has not seen every no. one of these other movies at least once, or they will be lost and angry. It is yeah. it is almost bad in that yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, no, this is this is for experts. This yeah. is expert level Kevin Smithing. There, yeah, you, you have to have done the homework to get here. Although there are a couple fun things I do like. Ugh, Film Twitter has been so happy this week with Netflix coming out. Which is uh, a website cataloging all fake movies that are inside real movies, mm-hmm. and that awesome. was one of the one of the first things I had to check for was like, is Goodwill Hunting Two Hunting <laughs> Season in there? Yes. Okay, it is awesome. I like their acting text of Lemon Face Lion Face. It's how they get prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can't stand Kevin Smith and his View Universe and you know all the interconnected stuff, we have a completely separate Kevin Smith movie to talk about next week. Okay, he's going full horror. I love that movie. Yeah, I thought that movie was real fun. But again, again, I I love this movie, but I can see why Sarah would not. And mm-hmm. it's just yeah, it's it, it I, it's one of those reasons I applaud Marvel movies because I could take my dad to see Endgame by filling him in with a couple things, and mm-hmm. he's like, all right, got it. But 
still sort of lost, but I kind of got it. You'll be so lost in this fucking movie. Why is this scene happening? Like, because we wanted to see Chris Rock again. <laughs> yeah. Why, why do you do that to your audience? You just assume they're along for the ride. Okay. Yeah. If, if, if it was I a TV, if it was a TV show, it would wouldn't be a question because everyone should be caught up on this TV yes. show if they're watching this yeah. episode. Yeah. But it was an interesting new experiment in film, and now it's happening a lot. And I think I I don't know. I want to give Kevin Smith a little credit for that. Television this week, though. Yes. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> So, yes, why don't we keep talking about Jason? Look, you guys, we are so close to having things to talk about on TV, but we are in the desert when it comes yeah. to content right now. Sorry. Shit. Kids are going back to school and yeah, no one's willing, no one's ready to settle into school to television just yet. It's launching a I new mean, show. It's a terrible time. I, I will make this into a six feet under podcast if you want me to, but <laughs> we don't need to go over every episode. <laughs> I mean, both you and Diana are rewatching. That is true. All oh, of six. Oh, under. I finished. Oh. <laughs> I finished, and then we had to take the dog out after that finale, and it's like you could tell I'd been crying, and oh. I was like, "Someone's gonna see and know that I was crying, and then I'm gonna have to tell them it's because I just watched the six feet under finale, and then they're gonna cry too, and we're gonna feel really bad." And then I pull Honestly, up. girl, it's 2021. You could be crying about a million <laughs> things. Yeah. Like I don't think you need to explain anything. But still, be like, oh, she's crying. Yeah, I'm on my crying break. Actually, I just stopped. If so. you're a Six Feet Under fan, I know I, I can pull up a certain <laughs> Sia song on my phone and bring you to tears at any oh, second yeah, I want. Oh my god! Any yes. second I want. That was so beautiful. Uh, <laughs> briefly, video games of uh, tw- oh, 2001. We'll go into this more on the uh, Patreon show, patreon.com slash laser time, the Video Game Apocalypse Boys. Armored Core 2, Another Age, an <laughs> Arcanum of Steamworks and Magic Obscura. <laughs> I want to dump that game's books. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know what that is. I'm a dork and I have not played either of these. But if you've got something to say, chime in in the comments here. We'll bring them over to the video game show, the Video Game Apocalypse Boys. Damn, we're going to go out with uh, Let Me Blow Your Mind by Eve featuring Gwen Stefani. That's on the charts this week. But stay right there, people. we got one more decade to get through, and it's a biggie. So don't move. the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of august 20th through 26th 1981 just keeps giving us these cool 40th anniversaries because this week in 1981 we have the best horror comedy ever question mark yeah i i was seriously trying to think of any other like horror comedies that i like as much that are this horrifying like okay Beetlejuice I guess is a horror comedy technically but it's like it doesn't have like grisly deaths in it but American Werewolf in London sure freaking does written and directed by John Landis starring David Naughton Griffin Dunn Jenny, Jenny Agutter and um yeah I I like, kind of don't know what to say about it because it's just fun from start to finish it's successful as a horror movie it's successful as a comedy but it's you know two American dudes who go backpacking in England and they fail to stay off the moors as told and uh, one of them gets mauled to death by a werewolf and the other one gets bit and then it's about them turning into a werewolf and what, what do you want uh, besides being you know great as a horror film and a comedy film it's why we have a best makeup oscar period this the transformation scene 
done by Rick Baker is so good because it's like there's different kinds of werewolf transformation scenes you've seen in different movies. And this one really lays into that you are physically changing and it would be painful like as his snout becomes a snout and his hands start growing claws. And it's it is just fantastic. Like I've seen that scene probably like 40 times like we studied it in a film school like this is this is some serious shit. Anyway, uh, also not given as much recognition is the ghoulish makeup on Griffin Dunn after he has been mauled to death. And it's just having casual conversations with his buddy about like, yeah, you're you're a werewolf now and you should probably kill yourself before you start eating people. Yeah. You think about that? Like, you should probably do that. Like, look how fucked up I am. I'm like dead and shit. Yeah. Serious recommend American Werewolf in London 1981. Um, I'm sure Chris and Sarah will have tons to say about it when we talk about it on uh, Nobody Puts Classic in the Corner, a little special show that we do once a month just for patrons at patreon.com slash laser time where they get to come in and talk about the classic corner stuff and uh, say what they have to say. Get get other opinions besides just me. The Lumis can't be wrong. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2011, could be any decade of our show, I guess, because the Red Hot Chili Peppers with uh, the adventures of Raindance Maggie off of their 10th album, I'm With You. Now, I had to go double check this. This is fucking crazy. Their fifth album is 20 years earlier. Right. And we will be talking about it in a couple weeks on the greatest day in rock music history. Trademark. (laughs) Okay, what could that be? Oh, is that Woodstock 99? No. No? not why would we talk about that in documentaries out oh right <laughs> i suck at our show <laughs> <laughs> no there are there is one day where there are like three or four gigantic albums coming out and they're just that they're all on the same day is fucking nuts and one of them is a pretty huge red hot chili peppers one so i think yeah. i know what it is uh and then new releases in 2011 august 20th to 26 also include what Matters Most by Barbara Streisand and Postmortem by Black Tide. Party Rock Anthem by LMFAO is still number one. No one's got anything to add on these. And then uh, a little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2011. Uh, Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys marry. Uh, they divorce two and a half months later. Which Look, there are a lot of weird things about the family, and I we could name a lot of them. But I think one of them is Kim Kardashian marrying a man who has the same name as her mom. <laughs> oh. The same spelling. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. And a, a little plug for our departed buddy, Trevor Moore. I had never heard the song, Story of Our Times. And it's this kind of mean, it's, a, it's the joke is the Kardashians. That's what he's taught. That's what the song is about. But in the middle of the song is four minutes of him recounting everything that happens in 12 seasons of the Kardashians. And that shit is funny as hell. And that's the only reason I know this guy's name, because I've listened to that song like three times since we lost Trevor Moore. So I'll, wow. I'll plug that. The story of our times. It's the title of the special and the song. Kind of mean, but the middle that is just 
<laughs> and then Courtney cried and Kim got psoriasis. And like, it's, just, <laughs> it's just four minutes of that. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, I've had like an off and on relationship with the Kardashians as far as like watching their show. And because sometimes I'm like, yes, queens. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, you guys are gross and not cool. And mm. that's kind of where I've landed recently. But it's quite a saga, I have to say. Mm-hmm. The story and, of our times. You know, they know how to make the monies. Yeah. And the, this is a big deal. Yeah, she's, you know, dating this pro basketball player and like the, the media blitz and the leading out to this is going to be the biggest wedding you ever saw. And it was just unending, blah, blah, blah. And then I just love that Joel McHale on the soup guessed the length of the marriage. Like he was within a week, I think. Wow. Like, he was like, oh, we'll see what happens 72 days from now. And it's like, oh, it's actually 74. It was so fucking close. <laughs> wow. It just makes me want to know, like, was this all planned by E? Did he see the memo that he wasn't supposed to see? I mean, hmm. would you put it past this family and this reality show genre, like, to fake nope. a wedding? Just to... uh-uh. They are craven. <laughs> With a K. <laughs> and also on uh, this... Oh, my God, they need to pair with that um, cereal. Crave cereal. <laughs> okay, cereal I got it, yes. Uh, also on this week, Steve Jobs resigns as Apple CEO, and he... He's in like a Charles Schultz area. Like he quits what he does and then dies almost instantly. Is that is that the timeline or does he? Yeah, have he's, a little... he's unwell, I think, and he realizes like ah, I should focus on my health. By which I mean not talk to doctors, just like eat more fruit. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it, no. But the public, I think, is unaware of his sickness. Just I think it's speculated upon, but he hasn't talked about it yet. Right. If I'm not, the, if I'm correct. The only reason I kind of remember this happening is because. Again, Sam and I were kind of like first dating at this point. And I came, like we were hanging out and I was like, oh, Steve Jobs just resigned. <laughs> it's like, Jobs? Look at Banner, Michael. Look at- <laughs> like, yeah, Steve Jobs. That's not how you say his name. <laughs> okay. It's Gob. Duly noted. <laughs> I love saying look at Banner, Michael. Uh, <laughs> it's... <laughs> Really do, uh, and then uh, a little last bit of news. Oh boy, Libyan opposition uh, forces push into Tripoli, overthrowing Muammar Gaddafi, sending him on the run. Inside his compound was a gold-plated everything, including bathroom fixtures and tea trolley and statues of himself in multiple photo albums full of pictures of Condoleezza Rice. Oh, Jack uh, Donaghy will not be happy. That's yeah. Think that's oh, his girl right my. now. Yeah. Well, you know. It's always fun to have just like truckfuls of guys with guns running around. That's not topical right now or anything in uh. the Middle East. But hey, but this time they overthrew a real piece of shit and he had it coming. And I mean, this is really just still Arab Spring, you know, that people are finally overthrowing the Gaddafi government, which had been there for like 40 goddamn years. And yeah, the <laughs> just, he was like the tackiest of, of all dictators really what a tacky <laughs> dictator oh, wait, was... they have such good taste he wasn't bistro chic or whatever <laughs> Are sh- what's the one is it turkmenistan where it's like he renamed the days of the week after his mom wow some shit like that but oh yeah the photo albums of condoleezza rice is like that was just the icing on the cake of what is happening <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just imagine him sitting there, and it's like it's not all pictures of him with Condoleezza Rice. It's like clippings out of newspapers and shit. Like, oh, he just loves Condo so much. It's just so, so cute. He was like me in middle school, but and with Tom Cruise. 
Yes. <laughs> like making collages. <laughs> yes. Wait, but for former secretaries of state. <laughs> Do these collages still exist? There is still one. What? <laughs> my mom actually put it up in my old room. <laughs> She's taking down all, like, my old room is not my old room anymore. It's just the guest room, but she left up a Tom Cruise collage that I made. <laughs> I think to troll me. <laughs> Pictures, please. Mm-hmm. Let's move into movies of 2011, August 20 through the 26th. Help is number one at the box office. Everyone here loved it. Had nothing bad to say about it. No, it, <laughs> everyone loves the Beatles. Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, hell? Uh, and then also out this week, Bill Irwin, John Hawks, um, Darmaga Damitsky. What? Uh, Norbert Leo Butts. <laughs> Uh, uh, Joshua Leonard and Vera Farmiga in Higher Ground. Um, also a Chili Pepper song. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's cool. That's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, this, it's uh, Vera Farmiga's directorial debut, what? and it's uh, a very small personal movie about one's relationship with God and faith. Mm. What? Which means what? like, yeah, exactly. Like the critics are all like, well, that was, you know, it's very interesting and thoughtful. And it's like, is anyone going to enjoy watching this? Or is it the kind of thing that you watch and then later you think like, that was good. But yeah. like, are you going to have fun watching it? I don't know. You know, I mean, that makes me feel like a dick because like, I like all these people involved. But yeah, it's like she starts out and like, there's an accident and then she becomes really into Jesus. And then like, other bad things happen and how could God do this to me? And it's like, yeah, the journey of faith, which is kind of hard to depict in film. So yes, credit for trying. And yeah, the critics all said that was very good, but it's very independent, you know, Sundance festival that mm. makes about $18 and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we're still doing that. Okay, fine. <laughs> Next up, Jack Thompson, Bailey Madison, Guy Pierce, and Katie Holmes and Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. So I watched this. Oh, oh, you did. Oh, I watched, well, it's spooky season. Yeah, I watched most of it, actually. I, did, I didn't watch the end because it's definitely one of those movies where I'm like, I get it. I get it. Uh, did anyone else watch it? No. I did not. I think I've seen parts of the original, which was made for TV in the 70s. Oh, wow. Whoa. Okay. Well, it's that kind actually, of, that really just... feels... Right. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's kind of an Amityville horror-y sort of thing where it's like there's there's bad shit in the house. I believe Guillermo del Toro co-wrote it or produced he, it. He's involved for sure. And yeah. believe me, the DVD wants you to know that. Because I, <laughs> I got the DVD from our library. Hello. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I would say it's not a bad ride, honestly. It's definitely a haunted house movie. It definitely gave me flavors of Hill House a little bit, Haunting of Hill House. Oh, yeah. But the bad guys are like little critters like little little critters that are like you know like that sort of thing and it's fun in that way like i kind of like that it wasn't like a big bad ghost or like something like that like these these little bad little creature critters that are trying to get bailey madison the child act like this the daughter of guy pierce in this movie to like they want her because I think they eat children's teeth. Which, by the way, <laughs> if you're squeamish at all about teeth yes. stuff, like I am, the opening of uh. this is very not for you. Like, I had to close my eyes and Sam had to tell me when it was over because there are some very gross teeth things that happen. So is this kind of the follow-up to Hellboy 2 where there were the little monster flying guys that would try to eat you and try to get in your mouth and eat you, your teeth? Ooh, feels similar. Feels very mm. similar to that, for sure. Um, yeah, it's not it's not terrible. It's very like kish kitschy sort of. Kitschy? Kitschy. 
Yeah. And Bailey Madison is a great little child actress, by the way, at this point. Like, she's really doing the work. And I I remember saying to Sam, like, after we finished watching it, I was like, man, this little girl is really doing the work because she has to act against nothing. I mean, like, these little critters that, like, are not real, obviously. So this little kid who's, like, I think ostensibly under the age of 10 as an actress right now, or maybe 10, is doing some really good, like, horror acting against you know, nothing. She's doing a good job. Oh, that's cool. Very she was, she was on once upon a time as snow white for years. Huh? huh. Yeah. Okay. I, w- I always want to see like the child actors, like either child actors just quit or they end up like being on a bunch of TV stuff. And you're like, Oh shit. It's that person. Mm-hmm. No. no, she's very, she's very good in this. Katie Holmes and Guy Pierce less so. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely also in these movies where it's like, you have a small child <laughs> In what is obviously a very creepy house, you're making a lot of choices that are putting this child in danger, mm-hmm. by the way, including not believing her when she is telling you she's in danger. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, people. We've learned this multiple times. Yeah. Uh, and then up next is Cliff Curtis, Michael Varton, Jenny, uh, Lenny James, uh, Jordi Molia, uh, and Zoe Saldana. I've never heard of Colombiana. Oh. Well, let's, let's take a look. Who are you? Not room service. I was nine when my parents were killed. I will not stop until you feel what I felt all these years. And now I'm going to finish it. Columbiana, rated PG-13. Goddamn, I... Yeah, I totally missed this. <laughs> no. Well, this is a second movie we can talk about as this originally kind of sort of was a sequel to Lay on the Professional. This was going to be a Matilda movie of Natalie Portman all grown wow. up and ready to kill some motherfuckers. Oh. And then they decided, eh, maybe not. But so it's it's co-written by Luke Besson and uh, Mark. Robert Mark Kamen, who I believe wrote that. And uh, yeah, instead it's about Zoe Saldana and her parents get killed by, you know, Colombian drug lords because I think her dad is a drug lord and he's like getting out of the business. She comes to the US, she trains as a super assassin and then she goes back to kill motherfuckers. And... And, uh, yeah, yeah. Agreed. I mean, it's, it's directed uh, It's directed by the guy who did Taken 2 and 3 who has an amazing name, Olivier Megaton. Ah! <laughs> I mean, it's not how it says, Megaton, but... <laughs> Olivia Megaton. And it just, it pisses me off because it's like people have figured out Zoe Saldana is awesome at action, but she can't get the right fucking role, man. Like she needs a vehicle and this should have been it, but the whole movie's just not that good. Mm. It's really not. Like I definitely saw this when it came out because I do love a lady assassin mm-hmm. situation. Yep. Obviously La Femme Nikita. Hell yeah. Chef's kiss. Domino Harvey, uh, who could forget? And I I had to remind Sam, actually, like, this week, like, we saw this in the theater together. Oh. Like, I remember this. And he was like, I have no recollection of that because it's not memorable, like, in any way. Yeah. And we – I rewatched a little bit of it just to kind of remember what's going on. And I remember – the feelings flooding back that I was thinking, one of the things that I don't love about this that I don't think is like very um, believable is that she's just this like amazing assassin who's like beating up all these people and her arms and legs are toothpicks. Like she, <laughs> like, I just can't, 
they they do a lot of work with her in like a full body suit for whatever reason, like because she has to sneak through like heating vents or whatever. And I'm just not buying that she's like kicking ass that hard when she's that thin. It's like mm. hard, hard to believe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just ugh. it's it's a bummer because it's like when she's in an ensemble action movie, she always is the best thing. Why can't she? get more of a vehicle that works for her without it being slathered in <laughs> without her skin yeah. being colored blue or green yeah without having to you know sit in a makeup chair for four hours to just get like one scene where she's super cool and you're like why can't she be the movie mm. nah. I, I know mean, it sucks i think zoe zeldana should should have broken out as more of an action star and just, just did not have the material no uh, and I, I am not- absolutely not trying to body shame her at all no no I mean, you're just saying she's a mary sue we got you sarah <laughs> How dare you? I got, uh, um, I got, I, I got angry. I will yet. just, I will just remember you. Gymnasts are all really skinny, and they're all super, true. super, super That's strong. Right. That's totally true. And Dolph Lundgren could swallow them whole. Yes. And- <laughs> yeah, they're also really short. Like every Olympic athlete is like four ten. That's yeah. true. It's easier to travel. But the the mus the musculature is different. Let me just put it that way. But I, I feel bad. I feel like I'm body shaming her now and i probably should not have done that also on top of that the movie's just not very interesting yeah are you movie shaming this movie i (laughs) am movie shaming this movie (laughs) it's loud it's part of what the show does i got bummed because i like the suicide squad and i realized oh yeah we're a year past the original guardians release date back when neocons got james gunn fired for no reason and we're still like three years out of seeing those characters again i'll never forgive these people i don't (laughs) fucking hate them uh like zoe seldana and james gunn is all i'm saying and uh, lastly, as far as movies goes, um, look at this cast. Yeah, what, was this Woo, would this cast have stood it. out as just as impressive ten years ago? I mean, obviously, we know a little more about some Listen of this. To me. Yeah, like uh, I, most of these people were on half the podcasts I was listening to. Adam Scott, T.J. Miller, uh, Shirley Knight, Rashida Jones, Catherine Hahn, Steve Coogan, Emily Mortimer, Zoe Deschanel, Elizabeth Banks, and Paul Rudd in Our Idiot Brother. Filling the kids' heads with stupidity. Check it out. Can't one of you just take him, please? What's wrong with my sister? She's pretty, but she's bossy. Tell me exactly what he said. He said that your personality gets in the way of your looks. Your very good looks. Dude, (laughs) do you have Tourette's? She's open to pretty much anyone. She even slept with our cousin once. Our idiot brother just ruined my freaking life. I did not get around to this one, but it's been 10 years oh. of like, I should see this. It's so good. Is it? It's, it is a smaller movie than I was expecting with a yeah. cast this big. Mm-hmm. It is a very small movie, but it is very charming. So charming. Directed by the so bassist from the Lemonheads. What? <laughs> yes. What? Yes. Jesse Peretz, uh, I believe. Go ahead. Fact check me, Diana. I will okay. fact check you. Yeah. You're right. I... It's the bassist from the Lemonheads. <laughs> I absolutely loved this movie so much. I actually got it from our local library, and I can tell you that if you get the DVD, there's a blooper reel during the credits. So, just FYI. But yeah, this is such a sweet, fun, uplifting movie. Absolutely love it as like a little character study. It's great as a comedy because the characters are a little bit heightened, but still people that you recognize in like real life for Mm -hmm. sure, especially a certain kind of like very chill, go with the flow kind of dude that a lot of us are very acquainted with, especially in 2011. Thanks, bro. Yeah, but it's it's a different kind of go with the flow. I mean, he's not like, he's not the dude from Big Lebowski, you know? He's not just like going with the flow. Yeah, Paul Rudd is, you know, the one brother he's got 
three sisters, uh, Elizabeth Banks, Zoe Deschanel, and Emily Mortimer, who are varying levels of uptight about different things. And Paul Rudd's character is just like the biggest Pollyanna. Like he just doesn't doubt what people tell him. He just accepts everything. It's like, oh, I, I just assumed the best out of this situation. And that, mm-hmm. that seems okay. So if I see my sister's husband, who's a filmmaker, naked with his film subject, and he says, oh, we were doing this interview and she was naked. So I got naked to make her more comfortable. And he just goes, oh, okay. He never thinks <laughs> twice about that. Like, oh, that is entirely credible. It, a cop in uniform comes up and asks him, hey, do you know where I can get some weed? He'll just tell him because why would he doubt that? He just assumes the best out of everybody. But the writing is so good because he actually is not portrayed as an idiot. He's just portrayed as a very kind person, which is like a really fine line Mm -hmm. for them to have walked. And they did a really good job with it. And Paul Rudd, of course, is the perfect person for that role. I loved it too because there, you know, there's these three sisters and the one brother. And when you have that sort of dynamic, of course, like I've seen it before in real life where the sisters are like, oh, you, you can't handle anything. You don't know shit. We all have to take care of you and cluck around you or whatever. And I love <laughs> it because the movie does such a good job of portraying like all these other people do not have their shit together. Like their mm-hmm. lives are a full mess and they are super judgy toward their brother who is like actively trying to make things better. It's so sweet. I absolutely loved every second of it. It's, it's on Netflix as well. It's like never not been on Netflix. So yeah. always been this close to executing it. God damn it. Had to go get my second COVID test this month. No, it was just, yeah. I'll, I, I mean, my only complaint is that there's so many good people in it. Like Adam Scott and Hugh Dancy have, are barely in it. And it's mm-hmm. like, I always want to see more of those guys. Come on. Yeah. I always feel that about Ka- say with Catherine, Catherine Hahn. Hahn. Yeah. Mm, my Hollywood wife. Love her. Yeah, we a little bit more of her. Yeah. And Rashida Jones. Yeah. I love her whole vibe. It's a whole thing <laughs> in this movie. I'm very, in, I. she's doing such good work. Yep. And here we are. Well, I guess this is 20 years after Steve Coogan created Alan Partridge that we just talked about uh, a couple episodes ago. And now I've seen his balls. So just thanks. His, just his balls? Yeah. Yes. Well, but. Okay. From I mean, behind, from behind shot. Yeah. <laughs> They could be prosthetic. Like they now do when men do full frontal nudity, they often have like a prosthetic dick and balls that they put over the real dick and balls so they feel more comfortable. Ugh, cowards. It's so strange <laughs> that cowards. way. But, but is it identical? I've always wondered about that. Because like, like you mean like like Doc Brown's makeup in Back to the Future too? Like just sort of Also like has yeah. Michael Fassbender been lying to us this whole time? No, no. He he earned that name. Okay. Um <laughs> he earned the name Fastbender? Oh dude, he can bend it like Beckham down there. It's fucking oh, okay. great. It's Yeah. No, our our idiot brother is it is extremely light, but it is very pleasant. It's a nice sort of like date night movie. It, it just struck mm. me as like, will we ever see this type of movie in the movie theater again? Mm. Like, yeah. like Ten years from probably the closest that I've seen recently was Britney Runs a Marathon, which was like a couple sure. years ago. A couple years ago. Did yeah. you watch that streaming? <laughs> Saw it in the theater. Okay. Cried my face off. Loved yeah. it. Okay. okay. Very good. I meant to get there. I apologize to the mm-hmm. audience. Well, moving into TV. Oh, 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 my goodness. A big one. A big, a big episode of Breaking Bad. And I just, in hindsight, it's still worth just bowing to the show for, it could have been The Sopranos. It could have been more networky and like this frustrated science teacher starts a meth empire and hides it from his family. And then eventually, like, I love 
very very quickly in, in the course of the series, it's not hidden from his family anymore. They're all aware of what he's doing and are in, implicated in it. Yeah. And but, this, but this is the point. This is like the key point where yeah. it's like, oh, his family didn't realize how bad it how was. Big, how big and how awful it is. And it's, it's also, uh, other than science, bitch, I don't know that Breaking Bad produced another catchphrase. But it did mm-hmm. here in the episode Cornered. That aired this week. You should know the scene if you've watched Breaking Bad, um, but it's Walter White talking to his wife, Skyler, and she's like, what about that fucking other meth guy who got shot on his doorstep? What if you just get, someone just knocks on our door and you get shot? Uh, and then he proceeds to give a speech where I wish as a viewer, I, like, oh, fuck, have I been rooting for the villain the whole time? He just, he gave oh. a super villain speech in this episode, cornered. Uh, and it ends with a line I'm sure most people remember. Walt, please. Let's both of us stop trying to justify this whole thing and admit you're in danger. Who are you talking to right now? Who is it you think you see? Do you know how much I make a year? I mean, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up, disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No, I am the one who knocks. Other than the confrontation between Hank and Walt, eventually, like um, one of the most memorable speeches ever given on. Mm. Because the show is not a very speechy show, yep. um, to mm. its credit. Just a, a lot of like serious acting. It just makes me run away, rewatch the show all over again. But about once every three months, I get hammered and turn on El Camino. I love that there's a little movie I can watch. And, be reminded about how good Breaking Bad is. And it wouldn't be TV in 2011 if we didn't hear Diana chime in on the latest episode of Deadliest Warrior. (laughs) And how do we, just if you haven't heard before, Deadliest Warrior is a show that used to take place in GameFAQs forums, but is now, (laughs) who would win in a fight between this historical figure and this historical figure? Right. And they would like test out, you know, what kind of weapons they had and what their track record was and historical stuff, you know, a little Mythbustersy, but it was uh, generally really stupid, but it could (laughs) be fun when they like tested out blades on, you know, gelatin dummies, whatever. But uh, Teddy Roosevelt versus Lawrence of Arabia, who would win? They go with Teddy Roosevelt. I disagree. (laughs) I, I don't know enough about Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, fight. Fi- I mean, are we talking a fist fight? Then yeah, Teddy Roosevelt. Okay, but if we're Always talking- Always carried a big stick. You know, yeah, squad on squad. Mm, Teddy Roosevelt, he got his uniform at Brooks Brothers before he went up San Juan Hill. Okay, yeah. I don't I don't think so. Uh, That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Tough but fair. Yeah, I would have liked to seen it. They're, rough. They're kind of contemporaries. Yeah, let's see it. I anyway. just w- want to remind everyone again, we do a video game show. This 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 show has a video game that Michael went out of his way to track down <laughs> and play and review. I, I love the story because he like contacted the publisher and like, can I get a review copy? He's like, anybody wants to review this? And <laughs> who are you people? <laughs> no one's requested a review copy for this show that Diana and her husband truly loved. Um, what are we yeah. talking August 20th through the 26th in video games? Whew, it's a little biggie this week. Deus Ex Hitman Revolution is out. That's the big one. Shin Megami Tensei, Devil Survivor, Overclocked. Don't don't look at me like that. I didn't name these games. That's a, that's a Japanese thing. Spy Mouse, Hysteria Project 2, and we'll dig into even more on Patreon.com slash Later Time. We'll, go, we'll take you more in depth 
occasionally come up with fun anecdotes, sound clips, or some of us even worked on a bunch of these games. So, Oh, don't go anywhere because we have a death. We're going to tell you who died during this period. I think we teased it a little bit. We'll also have a quiz. Uh, you can play along with us on whose birthday, who celebrated a birthday during the period of 30-2010. But Diana, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at listeninerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. And coming up next week, we have a reteaming of the Swingers Boys. Oh. And we have a Robbie Coltrane movie so controversial they had to change the title slightly. Oh. It's just a weird thing to talk about. We don't and, always know what this, these are, people, so we're as in the dark yeah. as you. And we have Kenneth Branagh making a seriously underrated film noir about reincarnation. Hmm. And a huge album that kind of marks the beginning of the grunge era, frankly. I need to figure out what all this stuff is, goddammit. We also have two very big books to talk about, by the way, in 2001. Very big, very buzzy. Oh, my God. And the best movie I've ever seen starring Uncle Phil from The Fresh Prince. James Avery, baby. Cool. Because it's one of the only movies. Uh, But patreon.com slash laser time. We encourage you to donate five bucks if you can. Uh, And if you can, you'll get a bunch of delightful treasures, including full-length commentaries featuring some of your hosts, past, present, and future. Uh, Ooh, that was dire. Is anybody going anywhere? Future. But also, uh, we do a, a... we do a classic corner bonus show now. We've we have had one episode of that. We would love to hear any of your feedback and incorporate that into later shows. Um, also, uh, we go over the video games of thirty twenty ten more in depth. The video game apocalypse boys. You can listen to every single Friday. This week we're talking about video game road trips, and I imagine some uh, some other new releases that we played as well. I gotta jump into Splitgate. What's that about? What's that about, fellow children? Diana, who died during this period of thirty twenty ten? Uh, well, as I mentioned earlier in the show, 1991, right when she was getting her Emmy, Colleen Dewhurst passed away. She was 67. Um, she was an actor in a billion things. She had a really distinctive voice. She was president of Actors Equity, and she's Campbell Scott's mom. Hmm. Yep. Cervical cancer. Get your HPV oh. vaccine. Yes. yes. There's a vaccine that can stop a cancer. Come on, man. I don't know if I can trust things that start with a vaccine with the scene. Uh-huh. Um, just yeah. to impress. Well, I don't want to uh, impress. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to dig any more into this character. Yeah. Well, tell me about the time you got polio. Oh, right, you can't. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Who else? And then in two thousand one, we lost Kim Stanley, who's seventy six. She is another actor that goes on a million <laughs> billion years. You'll remember her as the target of Stella. <laughs> mm. In Streetcar Named Desire, mm-hmm. which I think is coming up in Classic Corner. Oh, we yeah. also lost John Chambers, the makeup artist of 78. Chris, who's John Chambers? John Chambers, so many notable things. He's probably the basis for the movies, the FX movies. He created Spock's Ears, the makeup for Planet of the Apes. I think got the first honorary Oscar for makeup for Planet yep. of the Apes. Literally worked for the CIA, creating fake cadavers to, I forget, either condition American soldiers to dead bodies or tricking the enemy and thinking people are actually dead here. It's wow. No one knows exactly how much to believe of him because my favorite thing to attribute to John Chambers of the reports I've read, it is highly likely he is Bigfoot in the Patterson Gimli footage you've seen. It is <laughs> incredibly likely that is him pulling a plank on prank, a prank on everyone based on how good of an effects artist he was. Google it, Google it yourself. There's been a, a ton of people to back this up. Um, and, Kind of a secret. It's allegedly a secret in the special effects industry that people aren't supposed to say in public, but is casually acknowledged everywhere else. But that John Chambers is what we think of as Bigfoot. And it's one thing to create a, a fake character 
but then a fake character everyone believes is real and still out there is amazing wow. to create a, a crypto zoological phenomenon. That's an amazing effects artist. And John Goodman yeah. played him in Argo. Yep. Yeah. He's oh. uh, the first civilian to get the highest honor from the CIA. Yeah. Yeah. Which just makes me dude. really concerned about what he was up to. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Yeah. Oscar winning madman. Yep. Uh, okay. Also in 2001, I should mention we lost Kathleen Freeman, who was, she was in a million freaking movies, man. She was a, hey, it's that lady. I mean, all the way through, like her last role was, she did a voice in Shrek, but she's like in wow. Naked Gun 33 and a third. She's the nun in Blues Brothers. She was in a ton of Jerry Lewis movies. Wow. Okay. She, yeah. She'd been around a trillion years. You're really up Shit's Creek. <laughs> yep. And then uh, in 2011, we lost Jerry Lieber, who was 78. He's part of the songwriting duo Lieber and Stoller, who wrote Hound Dog, Jailhouse Rock on Broadway, Stand By Me, Spanish Harlem. Like every rock song from the 50s, pretty much. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. And with those deaths out of the way, there were people who were brought into this world, as some of our friends were taken out. Uh, and that's why it's time for the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Turning sixty-eight this week. Almost nice. nice. God. Almost nice. Born Rolf Storm, August twenty-seventh, nineteen fifty-three. Oh shit. In- in Kumla, Sweden. He changed his name because there was another guy at acting school that had the same name. Was it Jim Henson's puppet? No. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> but Ralph's dull, man. Rolf Storm. What an awesome kind of porny name. Wow. Mm-hmm. He was in the National Theater of Sweden for 11 years, the associate artistic director of the Tokyo Globe Theater, and he has 199 credits on IMDb. Stellan Sarsgaard. Fair enough guess, but no. Some of his movies we've talked about include Million Dollar Hotel, where on the set Bono heard some of his music and encouraged him to record an album. And he did. um... Because, you know, if Bono says, hey, that's pretty good, you should probably, like, do that. Yeah. Hmm. That's some fancy noodling boy. We also talked about Nacho Libre, Premonition, Witless Protection. Oh, the Larry the the Cable Guy movie? Yep. What the fuck? 68, but not dead. Not dead. Okay. Still going. Uh, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, Purgatory, Henry's Crime, Janie Jones. These are hard ones. Yeah. These are smaller parts. It's definitely not Dustin Hoffman. (laughs) No, let's get to bigger ones now. Mercury Rising, Chocola, 8mm. Nicholas Cage? No. Oliver Platt? Nope. Interesting guess, but no. Dancer in the Dark, Armageddon, Lost World Jurassic Park. Oh, that fucking guy. Not Bruce Willis? No. No. Swedish. 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 Billy Bob Thornton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. Uh, Peter Stormare. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I literally was picturing his face in my brain. I knew exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah also, Le- also, with Big Lebowski and Fargo. We fucked Lebowski. I, could, <laughs> I couldn't mention that his band is called Blonde from Fargo. <laughs> yeah, that would probably. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, we're all probably saying his name wrong. I think it's Stomare. Stomare. Very why would you go, which means like storming instead of storm, but why would you not stick with Rolf or Peter Storm? I don't know. That's a cool name. If I could be pr- present tense storming, that's <laughs> pretty cool. Yay, we like you. You're versatile and weird. Yeah. Yeah, he was a pitchman for some a weird pitchman for a product for a while. I forget what it was. Um, but yep. yeah, that's that's just about the show, everyone. And of course, we've saved the best for last. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> with Why do you guys get so shocked every time I make I laugh at my own bad dad jokes? I, I just got to 
love it because you go full smoker's laugh. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts a lot. But I'm congested. I'm on my second COVID test of the month. Save the best for last by Vanessa Williams. Um, I believe the In Living Color version was You Can All Just Kiss My Ass. And it works very, very well. Thanks, everyone, so much uh, for listening. Maybe tell a friend if you get bored. But seriously, just thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Now we're